You see your fight for survival? It starts right now. You have all the weapons you need. Now fight. Woo! Yeah! I almost lost the tile. I almost pulled a U and didn't get it in time. I'm I'm trying something new where I'm not gonna like try and hold the tab the whole time. Mm. I'm gonna try and just like open it right on zero. Okay, it's worked two weeks in a row now. Interesting. Uh, we will try for a third next week. <laughs> yeah, now it's just a coincidence. But next time it'll actually be a, a right run. <laughs> now. Now that I've acknowledged my, uh, I lost the word. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> welcome to Movie Boners. <laughs> Hey, everybody. <laughs> um, uh, the beer I'm drinking is relatively relevant to today's episode. It's a new mm-hmm. one from New Belgian Brewery, which is here in Fort Collins, Colorado. And it's called Citrus Rescue. All it's right. A, it's a citrus IPA brewed with perfectly good but imperfect looking fruit from the Imperfect Foods Company, whatever that means. And uh, yeah, it's it's a citrusy IPA. It's very juicy. You would not like it, but it has orange juice and orange peel in an IPA, and it's pretty good, I think. That sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a beer mosa in a can, kind of. Ah. Yeah. For those of you who are (laughs) not trashy and have never had a beer mosa, that's where you had orange juice to beer, and you pretend (laughs) like it's as cool as a mimosa with champagne. Uh, but it's for us, you know, cl- lower budget people. <laughs> I have no way to follow that up with. I, I, I tried to find something that would also be relevant. So I am drinking local blonde. Okay. Very clever. Yeah. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> I my beer wins. Again, I definitely could have or should have gone with a blonde something that would have made I sense. I felt like it was so obvious. Yeah, it probably was. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. It didn't catch my eye. I really didn't no. click in my little pea brain. But it's <laughs> but it's from <laughs> Texas Beer Company. Uh, I've had a few of their stuff. It, it, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's a nice. blonde ale, so it's pretty light. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, before we get into the episode, a couple of uh, topics. Number one, we have merch. My merch finally came. You may yep. have noticed. I have a little hoodie. It has a hood and everything. This is the basic hoodie. So we have two levels of hoodies we're trying out. Um, the basic one is pretty nice, honestly. I am always annoyed at how freaking expensive hoodies are, yes. especially from like fans and stuff that I like. They're like, here's a hoodie. It's $60. I'm like, damn. So this is like 28 or something. We've got it like as cheap as possible. Uh, 28 bucks for the cheap one. It doesn't have like things on the, this, the, whatever this is, a string, you know, the little, what are those things called on the ends of your shoelaces? A tassel. Sure. A tassel is a girly way to say <laughs> you it. You can't, you can't <laughs> judge the word used when you're like this thing. <laughs> this one didn't choose a dumb word. I chose no word at all. It... <laughs> um, you know what? <laughs> But it's, 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 it's pretty good. It's definitely worth 20 bucks. The printing is nice and straight. That we do have a more premium hoodie um, that I, the color I liked just came back into stock. So we might get one of those too because 
my wife wears all my hoodies, so I'm going to need a second one. But the premium one has like a nicer hood that's got like the the white the two stitches. I don't know what I'm even describing. You'd have to look at it. But go check out our merch, uh, hoodies, stickers, t-shirts, and a um, glass draft, uh, whatever yep. you call that, pint glass. Yep. And then uh, other things that we've been doing. Well, one, I can't wait for next month. Uh, we're almost to the end of January. Well, at the end of January. So we're almost to February, which means that movies are going to start releasing that are in our draft. Yes. And I already have my ticket to one of my movies. Are you going to see uh, uh, Jackass? Fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. am so excited. <laughs> I, I need to see it as well. I'm very excited for that. I'm excited for Death on the Nile, which is not... none of Neither of those are my movies, so that's kind of a downer. But you are definitely going to get out into an early lead in February. That's very yeah, clear. Yeah, but... But my draft took a huge blow like a week, two weeks ago now. Yeah. Fucking Paramount being like, we need to postpone Mission Impossible 7 another year because we're dumb. Yeah. If you, if you don't follow us on social media, the <laughs> during like the week after we did our draft, like, immediately after we did our draft, uh, yeah, Mission Impossible 7 was delayed from this September to next July. That's <laughs> yeah. the, the first and only movie so far that's that's gotten bumped. Um, it's still early, obviously. Nothing's actually been released. But you will dominate February. I'm pretty confident I will catch up in March, though. So the next couple months will be very interesting. We'll be checking in how where we're at, what the box office is at, what the scores are at yep. Yep. every week. So I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah, it should be uh, it should be real interesting headed into February. Yeah, yeah. I was looking for like January movies that are not Scream because we mm -hmm. omitted that one, considering we had both already seen it when we started our draft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> and I'm like, man, January's got like shit to yeah. be really. There's nothing in January. Yeah. My wife keeps asking me, she's like, when does Scream come out? Because I don't need to see it again. We need to own it. I need to watch it. And I'm like, it's not out yet. They're not streaming it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> It'll still be a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of watching new things, though, have you watched any? I know you've watched new things. I'm very yep. excited to hear about one of them. <laughs> um, I have not really watched anything new. I don't think I've really watched anything. Everything that I've watched new is for next week's episode. So I don't really have anything to talk about, I don't think. Yeah, I haven't started that yet. My goal was to actually start that this morning. But I decided to be lazy and not do like <laughs> any podcast-related stuff today. I felt like, nope, I'm just going to lounge on the couch mm -hmm. and binge-watch Friends. Nice. Because I'm almost done with the series. And, uh, oh, I did start watching, um, I know I'm like two seasons behind, whatever, uh -huh. but I did finally sit down and start watching The Boys. Oh, yeah. Crime. I've uh, heard great things. I have not seen it yet. It is pretty great. Jake, okay. you would love the shit out of this show. It is your show. Like, yeah. <laughs> every episode, I'm like, the screams, Jake. It's <laughs> all over the place. The screams, Jake. That's totally the vibe I get from the memes of the show I see. <laughs> yes. 
yeah, I am really genuinely enjoying it. And it's one of those where I'm like, yeah, I probably should have just watched this when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've loved that. Um, and then I watched the new Ben Affleck film on Prime as well. It's called The Tender Bar. It's directed okay. by George Clooney. Hmm. It's just a nice little drama movie, a coming-of-age story about this kid named J.R. or Junior, oh. who is raised in his grandfather's house with like his whole family that comes and goes because they're all poor okay. and have to rotate. And his uncle, Charlie, played by Ben Affleck, runs this bar called Dickens. And he just kind of uses his uncle as like his father figure mentor guy. I enjoyed the hell out of the tenor bar. If you want something that's just like peaceful and positive, mm-hmm. especially with all the shit that we live in these days <laughs> where nothing is good, it seems. Escape from life, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, The Tender Bar was a really nice, peaceful, just calming movie. It's not the greatest movie. Okay. It's it's fantastic and amazing when uh, Junior is a kid, like a really small kid. Yeah. The stuff when he's going to college, that whole part of the movie, I was like, oh, this part <laughs> kind of blows. Like, it's not bad, but you're like, it, it loses its heart. Yeah, during like all that, or at least it felt like it did. Um, but it's still worth a watch. Check it out. It's Ben Affleck, dude. Like the more and more I watch of Affleck stuff, mm-hmm. even revisiting his older movies, I'm like, man, yeah, I'm a Ben. Like I'm genuinely a Ben Affleck fan. I love mm-hmm. this guy. So he does a really great job in this movie. It's super good. His good. role is super good. Okay. And then I decided to, because you hear about it everywhere, and I was like, well, I absolutely adore the entire cast. This, like, it has so many great things going for it. It's a satire on the end of the world, kind of Mm -hmm. a political satire. I really like Adam McKay's political satire. I mean, Vice is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Um, So I sat down and finally watched Don't Look Up. And what a steaming pile of <laughs> wasted talent and satire piece of shit, stupid fucking long movie that was. <laughs> Fuck that movie. It's so bad. It's so bad. At no point during that film did I even chuckle. I was so mad during that whole movie. You oh, know wow. how bad that movie got? Okay. I didn't even give a shit about spoilers. I immediately went on IMDb to be like, all right, who got like suckered into doing this? Because this is <laughs> just the worst ensemble film I think I've seen in a long time. Didn't even give a shit about spoilers. And for those that know me yeah. pretty well, uh, I hate spoilers. Yeah. Even movies that I know other people will never watch, I mm-hmm. tend to not give them spoilers. Don't look up. I did not care. I was like, well, all right, so that's the end. That's fucking stupid, but okay. Uh, (laughs) I was so mad. (laughs) Like, yeah, and to the point where I did have to post something on Instagram, just like, I hate this movie. It's it's like, this is such a bad movie. And I'm, like, looking at what other people have to say. People are thinking it's hilarious and a great, like, poignant film. And I'm Mm. like, no. This movie is fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. That's amazing. Oh. 
That's uh, we got a to your story. We got a response or two from list followers, and uh, that seemed to be the consensus as well. They're like, "I hate this freaking movie. It's so bad." I, I could like like you. I was very intrigued by the cast. Obviously, it seemed like uh, it, the cast looked great. It seemed like a David Russell like level of just wild amount of superstars. Dude, it should have been amazing. And but there was just something about that trailer that made me un like uneasy or un un like just unsure that it would be good. So I was like, eh, I'll just not yet. Maybe someday. Not, but I'm not really concerned about it. And then yeah, after you said that, I was like, nope, pass, hard pass. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> like it's been a while since I have hated a movie just mm-hmm. so passionately, but. 2022. <laughs> Fuck, don't look up. It's so fucking stupid. All right. Yep. Hated that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it will uh, age better with time. It may be hated originally, but no. find people that actually like it later on. You know how sometimes you watch a movie that's just so bad? And like you and I <clears throat> experience this all the time. Where mm-hmm. we're like, oh, I didn't care for that one. And then we watch it again. We're like, oh, no, that movie's amazing. Like The Witch. or Yeah, like The Witch or anything else, really. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes you watch a movie that's so bad that you just immediately know to your core. <laughs> like, I cannot find a positive thing in this whole movie. Mm-hmm. And, dude, so it should be super funny. The satire should have worked. But... <laughs> It turns out, and I like it when actors all branch out, right? Try new things. It's good for you. Continue doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it turns out, as much as I love like Leonardo DiCaprio, as much as I love Jennifer Lawrence and Meryl Streep, Mm -hmm. um, they're not funny people. (laughs) And uh, every joke that is in the movie Mm -hmm. feels so forced and they try to play it the smart way where they're like playing it real they're not trying to be funny yeah and that usually works when you're like actually a funny person yeah it works really well but it turns (laughs) out that this whole cast is just not funny yeah uh even jonah hill who i was like oh sweet jonah hill's in this he's like chief of staff to the president who's his mom Mm. i was like that should be a hilarious like he showed up and I was happy. I was like, sweet, Jonah Hill's going to save the movie. Yeah. And then he was just really annoying. And I was like, shit, I hate <laughs> Jonah Hill in this movie. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and That's I was tough. excited to see him and DiCaprio working together because I love Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And then they're just annoying and they don't yeah. really do anything together. I just, oh, my God. I didn't even, like, there was no chuckling. I didn't smile. The movie is two and a half fucking hours long. Damn. That feels like a six-hour film. Yeah. Like, seriously, halfway through the movie, I'm like, this has to... We've got to be getting close to the ending. So I paused it to see the timeline. I'm like, fuck, I have a whole nother half of the film. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Oh, man. Yeah, that's not it's great. so bad. Don't watch it, Jake. Okay. I feel like the movie would just infuriate you. <laughs> I appreciate you taking one for the team. I will yeah. dodge that bullet. Oh, it's so bad. But luckily, mm-hmm. that was only one big hiccup in this last week, because I got to watch a movie a few times that I actually enjoy. There you go. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So I we I we I, what I just had a brain aneurysm. What just happened? <laughs> Jake is seizuring. Okay. Um, so let's try that again. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this episode. I know you're excited to talk about this episode. Yeah. You texted me the other day, and you were like, "Every time I watch a Zack Snyder movie, I just want to binge all of his stuff, like all of his filmography." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there is such a distinct and powerful vibe to his movies that I totally get that. I feel the same way. They're, they're highly stylized. The style he does is very bold. It's very different. Um, I was trying to think about it and I think I couldn't think of another director that's as specific in their style as Zack Snyder is other than maybe Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson is very specific, very bold, a lot of other directors are more, they have certain specific things they do, like mm-hmm. signature th- things like Snyder and everybody else does, but they're not as, they're not as specific or, or easily identifiable. Even Yeah. Like, I would even- say like when it comes to directors like Wes Anderson or Snyder, yeah, you can, they're the kind of film filmmakers whose style, like you can just say the name. Mm-hmm. And people immediately know the style, like what the movie will essentially look like. They know mm-hmm. the the tone of the film. They know every like all the little stylized stuff that that director does that just encompasses the whole film. Yeah, and is used as a tool to tell the story. Um, yeah, those two directors are very set apart from everyone else, just because. Mm-hmm. You can say their name to anyone who has watched their films or just movie fans in general, and they immediately know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I know what kind of movie that is. You know, you could say the same thing about, like, Tim Burton. Everyone knows what yeah. all of his movies feel like. Uh, you can't even say that, though, about, like, Spielberg. Right. You can't. <laughs> like, yeah, you can't they're very, say that. like, less stylized, more clean or traditional yeah. directors. Like, yeah, Spielberg or... Ron Howard or even Tarantino's like pretty classic style. He just throws in a lot of signature things and obviously more violence occasionally, like bursts of violence, long dialogue, things like that. But the, from a, just a visual imagery perspective. Yeah. Very classic. Yeah. So Snyder is definitely a part from a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yes, you you summed it up too, where you're like, "Yep, Snyder films are a vibe," and it's true. Mm-hmm. Like I've watched Sucker Punch three times this week, just in preparation for this episode. Uh, and ev- all three times, I was like, "Well, let's see here. Each of his movies is about three hours long. <laughs> Could I watch his whole filmography? Watch The Boys, continue binging Friends, <laughs> and get prepped for this episode all this week?" It's like, no, you probably can't. <laughs> not if I need to sleep at any point. <laughs> right. And, oh, yeah. And go to work full time. Oh, yeah. Could I too. do this? Uh, <laughs> I genuinely thought about it, folks, because, yeah. and it's true. I, I, it doesn't matter if I'm watching like Man of Steel or Snyder's Justice League or whatever, mm-hmm. or Watchmen. Like, if I try to just watch one of his movies, yeah. I feel compelled just to like, I feel like I'm doing him an injustice by not just binging his whole filmography. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that's not a thing. It's, it's 
You could say that you're a fanboy. I think that's going to be that's going to be a thread through this episode. Obviously, we are both unapologetically in love with Zack Snyder. Yeah, he's not for everybody. A lot of people take issue with the style, and it's because when you have a strong style like that, it's going to be divisive in certain ways. Like it, it can be polarizing. I yeah. will give um, the people that are not big Snyder fans. I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, his visual cues, how his gradients, the the dark yeah. stories that he tends to tell. Yeah, they're not for everyone. Yeah, they're they're not. Yeah, um, some people complain about the slow motion. He uses a lot of slow motion. I personally think slow motion is fucking awesome, especially when it lets you focus on all the little details that you would miss if it was normal <laughs> speed. And you know, his slow motion is always used on some like epic shot mm. during some crazy sequence where it, it's used to emphasize and i love it i'm yeah. all for his use of slow-mo i really am yeah no totally agreed <laughs> and so i think I, I think it's very interesting all of his other movies that you mentioned um sucker punch kind of stands out as a lot of his movies are criticized but sucker punch was especially criticized when it first came mm-hmm. out uh, by critics and fans and all this, this rotten on Rotten Tomatoes and all that stuff. Um, it it's, stands out especially because it's the only original story he's ever made after he did Dawn of the Dead, which is obviously a re- remake of the Romero classic, and 300 and Watchmen. He made directed and co-wrote Sucker Punch, mm-hmm. which is original and interesting and a lot deeper than most people give it credit for. Yeah, it's a it's a very dark film. Uh, when I was prepping for it, one funny thing that I came across is that the whole cast and the crew of the film actually described the movie as one flew over the Matrix. And oh, when weird. I was watching it, I was like, "This that fits because it's yeah. not it's not a feel good film. It's a pretty like devastating movie for what." Mm-hmm it hints at or shows you right um, the environment that these these women are put in is so toxic and so mm-hmm. bad uh so i got it i was like immediately when i read that was how the cast and crew described it i was like yeah yep i get it because <laughs> like the whole film is inside someone's head mm-hmm. uh <laughs> and so yeah. it's and you kind of forget like what's reality and what's not right um, yeah there's several layers to it and it's pretty much entirely about abuse so not the brightest story in the world right (laughs) um but i i genuinely you know i enjoyed it the first time i saw it and that was after hearing all the the trash talk on it and hearing how Mm -hmm. poorly received it was and so when i sat down to watch it that first time years ago Mm -hmm. i kind of sat down expecting like i'm gonna hate this movie but let's just see how bad it actually is and then i was like this movie's kind of cool. Like yeah. this is this is an interesting story. Why mm. did people hate this movie so much? Uh, if you hated it, whatever. Yeah. We loved it. So <laughs> I also think it it's the kind of movie that I'm noticing more and more people describing liking now. Like mm-hmm. I think more and more people are finding it and being having that experience, realizing that yeah, it is actually pretty good. I think it was when it first came out, especially it was criticized heavily for being 
overly sexualized and misogynistic and all this stuff, which if you've seen the film, you should know that it's, it's pretty much the opposite of that. And so anybody that complained about it didn't see the movie. They either saw the poster or the trailer or something. Or they read some trolls comments online. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it becomes extremely obvious that you haven't seen the movie and you don't know the message of the movie. This movie should be, especially nowadays, in a post-Me Too world, in, uh, when people are policing people on the internet for slut-shaming, it should be a fucking anthem for like abuse survivors and all this stuff, uh, or people, people who are in those situations or people who have gotten out or dealing with trauma of those situations. It's a, it's a very specific and powerful movie if you actually see it. Yeah, the uh, the idea of these women solely focusing on survival mm -hmm. and focusing on how do we not only survive this situation, but how do we actually finally get away from it, finding that freedom for it and fighting mm -hmm. for that freedom for for their lives. I I take the film as very powerful, very empowering for women. Yeah. Um, I saw a thing with Jenna Malone who plays uh, Rocket yeah. in Sucker Punch, and she did describe it. I forget like the first word she used for it. She had like a full description, but she did call this movie like it's one of the most important feminist films out mm -hmm. there just because of the celebration of women mm -hmm. that the movie is. Yes, their outfits are are kind of, I guess you could say off-putting if you are more on the conservative side of things or whatever, mm -hmm. but if you actually have watched the movie, like Jake just said, you understand why they're in the outfits they're wearing mm -hmm. because the whole film takes place in a brothel, which is actually. So we're going to spoil the shit out of the film in case you didn't know or haven't listened to any of our other deep dives. Yeah. Uh, but the... starting the spoilers now. Um... <laughs> yeah. Go see Sucker Punch. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing, like the brothel that the film takes place in or this club, it, it's a made up setting like it's right. all inside baby doll's mind she's created this whole world mm -hmm. based off of her experience for five days in the lennox house which is mm -hmm. this mental institution so they use the brothel to kind of over exaggerate like that kind of club setting or what these women yeah are doing but it, it's to the point where it like it lets you have an understanding of oh the reality, though, mm -hmm. they might not be, like, selling themselves or putting on huge dance numbers for these high-class clients. Mm -hmm. uh, they're being forced to do this by this super evil, crazy creepy, yeah, so unnerving. Oscar <laughs> Isaac and Sucker Punch yeah. deserves more credit as being such a great villain mm -hmm. because he makes you so squirmy. From the get-go. <laughs> yeah. It had to be his breakout role. Um, he had a couple of uh, roles before this uh, in Russell Crowe movies. He was Lil John in the 2010 Robin Hood, mm -hmm. and uh, I think he was in Body of Lies also. But this mm -hmm. was his other, like, his, like I think, main role. And he flexes nuts as, like, an actor in this movie. Yes, he does. Uh, 
I like it, especially when it comes to like the bad guys of a film. Yeah. If your villain or your bad guy can make the audience just feel uneasy or gross every mm-hmm. time you're on screen, I feel the actor is doing their job perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> like when you are able to separate the actor from the character and just fully like feel affected by the character, mm-hmm. that's a cool thing to have happen. And it works best when it's a villain. Because you're yeah. supposed to hate the villain. You're supposed to feel gross about them. Right. And he's a sad orderly who kind of enforces <laughs> abuse in a mental institution. It's so Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's, he's certainly the head of this abusive environment doing very morally uh, terrible things for money and for just his own enjoyment. Yeah. To these women who are vulnerable because he has is obviously in a position of power over them as the guy who's enforcing the rules in this asylum. But it also translates to the fantasy world in the club that she has in her mind where he's like the owner of the club or the yeah. pimp or whatever you want to call him. Um yeah, and so there's so many there's there's essentially three different layers to the movie where there's reality where they're in the asylum, there's the uh, club fantasy world, which is a mirror image of the actual world. Everything that mm-hmm. happens in it happens in the other one. And the conversations in one refer to things in the other one, but in a way that you don't exactly see at all times until you actually end up getting around to seeing it. And then even deeper than that, there's a action fantasy realm when she's dancing where yeah. uh, instead of showing her dancing, they show her in a in her mind fighting in these really awesome sequences. And so there's kind of three different layers that all relate to each other and mean different things to them. And, and so I think visually that's a big deal. And they're mm-hmm. going back and trying to put a bow on the outfit thing, them being dressed that way and being, yes, they are dressed sexily they're attractive and they wear uh these like what you would expect Did you just say to sexily so that's a word right i don't know <laughs> <laughs> we're not playing scrabble it's close enough you know what i meant um but they are dressed that way intentionally and this movie mm-hmm. i think was 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 put out there this way intentionally and so for people to criticize it for being this thing is extremely interesting especially when the actual message of the movie is a subversive attack on the thing that they're criticizing it for if that <laughs> <Right>. makes sense <laughs> like they're criticizing it for being this thing while it's simultaneously criticizing things for being that thing so it's they're they're on the same team which is kind of the funny thing yeah um if you haven't seen sucker punch and you're like what the fuck are they talking about? Mm-hmm. So the, the essential story of the movie mm-hmm. is the title character who is named baby doll in the fantasy world. You never actually find out her real name, right? But she is referred to as baby doll. Uh, she, her mother dies and due to her trauma and her crazy abusive stepfather, mm-hmm. she accidentally murders her sister and is incarcerated and put into this uh, mental institution called the Lennox house where she has five days before 
She is scheduled for a lobotomy so that she will have zero recollection of any event, especially her stepfather, who mm. just wants all the money from her dead mom's will yeah. and everything from that. Yeah, the mom um, left it all to the two daughters. And so he he puts them in, puts her into there because the, the second yeah. daughter is dead. He puts her in there and then pays off uh, Oscar Isaac's character um, to forge the actual doctor signature and get her a lobotomy. So she kind of forgets everything and yeah. doesn't have to worry about her anymore. And uh, during the course of the film, baby doll creates this whole fantasy where it goes double fantasy. Like Jake said, where like you have just the world that's a fantastical mirror image of the real world, which is mm -hmm. one of my favorite details in it. How like the, the gates and some of the doorways Mm -hmm. And the brothel are still the exact same as the Lennox house. Mm -hmm. uh, and then she goes even farther into her fantasy world and creates a whole second one where she does actual battles and yeah. wars. Um, but they all like, it all stems from what actually happens in the Lennox house, which mm -hmm. is uh, an interesting little note, but that's essentially the movie. And she tries to plot a plan to escape right. with the four other girls. Um, that's essentially what Sucker Punch is about on the outside, but the full like story is yeah. survival, the lengths your mind will go to to protect you from trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, how far can someone push themselves? What are you willing to do? Right. Uh, there's a lot of narrative in Sucker Punch that's like directly to you, the audience. So the narration. Mm -hmm. is breaking the fourth wall in the beginning and the very end mm -hmm. about like here, you know, the opening is all about uh, guardian angels and different forms that a guardian angel can be. It might not be like divine or whatever, but you should probably mm -hmm. pay attention to the stuff coming into your life. Mm -hmm. And then it, the final one is, you know, all about like accountability and, yeah. <laughs> and and encouragement ultimately and encouragement yeah the, yeah the, it's not accountability in a negative uh light it's accountability and like you need to understand right you have tools you have the means to do this stuff so right. do it <laughs> yeah that's that's the main thesis of the movie which comes up in the middle and is repeated at the very end which is you have all of the weapons you need yeah you fight like you should fight no one is coming to save you essentially you can save yourself and it's encouraging people the audience especially that if you're in a situation if you are being abused if you're being trafficked if you you've gotten out of that but you're still dealing with the trauma don't give up it's up to you you have everything you need inside of you even if you don't have extreme strength or actual like guns mm -hmm. and swords and stuff you have what you need whether it's patience or wisdom or the ability to create art or uh or sexuality like these girls these girls have uh, have attractiveness and the ability to dance and these kinds of things those are their weapons that they use to uh to escape to fight to get out of yeah. the situation and so i think that's incredibly interesting and very very hopeful and positive as well yeah no i take the film Although I said earlier, like, it's not necessarily a feel-good movie, because mm. it's not. Uh, <laughs> there's some pretty, like, it's a very dark story. Mm. But you can come away from it still feeling some kind of sense of empowerment. Uh, 
which is really cool how Snyder does it. He does this with almost every one of his films mm-hmm. where he will give you one of the darkest stories. He will put his characters and you, the audience through some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. The ending might not be like the most. Yeah. <laughs> but even when it ends, you sit there for a minute and you're kind of like, Oh, I, I kind of feel like mm-hmm. you, you feel that, that, that glimmer. That that little like hint mm-hmm. of hope, or maybe not even a hint, just a, a better grasp of there's always that hope out there. I think my favorite example is actually how he ends Watchmen mm-hmm. with the song and the diary. Um, I think Sucker Punch does that same kind of thing with the bus, where yeah. you get that like okay, there's. Yeah. Um, but we'll get to that, folks. Don't worry. We'll get. Yeah, to that. I, th- I think Snyder does an incredible <laughs> job in all of his movies of understanding how human beings relate to heroes and stories and narratives and even myths and lore and things like that. He understands how humans connect to that and uses that in all of his movies, and, and it's so he is inspired by a lot of that old mythology and stuff like that. Yeah that has stood the test of time, even obviously comic books are kind of modern mythology and have a lot of similarities in that he does the same sort of thing with these. The best stories are grounded and real and scary and dark, but there's always a hero. There's hope there's good in there that you can overcome the evil with, uh, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I mean, Snyder's one of, he's just become one of my all-time favorites. I know everyone was introduced to him with 300. Mm -hmm. Uh, When that movie came out, I remember being pretty skeptical. I was like, I don't know, because the visual of it looked different to me. It looked like, oh, this is so different. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I will never forget my introduction to, well, no, okay, sorry. Technically, my introduction to him was Dawn of the Dead, his remake, but that one... Way less stylized. Way less stylized, and you kind of like... Dawn of the Dead is one of those movies where it was his first big Hollywood budget film, and you don't really focus on the director. You're just like, Mm -hmm. you're fully invested into the movie, and it's a fun remake. Yeah. It's a great remake, actually. I love yeah. his Dawn of the Dead. And being a remake, you are focused as much on how close are you to the original director. Right. Like, not- what are you doing to honor the original? Obviously, yeah. we don't want a shot for shot, uh, yeah. but don't. If you are like, too different, people will get upset. It. Yeah. yeah. Which he did get flat because his zombies ran. Mm-hmm. I personally love his zombies, but this isn't about Dawn of the Dead. Uh- <laughs> But I remember, like, when I finally sat down and watched 300, when I went to the theater and watched that film and got to see Snyder's actual, like, oh, no, this is his style. This Mm -hmm. is his vision for filmmaking and storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the slower pace that he'll he'll take with letting the story develop and letting Mm -hmm. you really soak in the environment. I really respect that. But I remember, I mean, 300... I know it's on one of, on your war list, wasn't it? I think it was on my first action adventure list. I know it was on one of your lists. Anyways, yeah. that movie is still like just it's a powerful fucking film. Yeah. And for people to immediately like 
oh shit yeah. <laughs> like who's the, the world, Zack Snyder guy the <laughs> world know? took notice all of a sudden yeah yeah immediately and uh you know I do come across people that hated 300 and I'm like I mean I don't quite get that because it's yeah. such a cool film but <laughs> you do you I guess I don't know mm-hmm. uh but that movie really like, and to see him continue his actual vision and filmmaking and the, the stories that he's telling, mm-hmm. I, I have such respect for him as a filmmaker. And I've just become such a, a bigger fan of his, as the, his career progresses. I know you and I mm-hmm. have had so many fanboy moments when it comes to <laughs> Zack Snyder, especially yeah. in the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> yeah. And a big part of that is the, he is, at the center of the conversation, if you were talking about the struggle between visionary creators and the powers that be as far as producers the and studios. Fu- studio funding and and censorship and and just being able someone who wants to make something the way they want it made because they have a vision for it and then not being able to, whether yes. it's cutting it for time or content or the studio says, oh, we want to go in another direction or you're not funny enough or whatever. That is so discouraging or disheartening. And so I, I, I love that Zack Snyder continues to push against that. I think that's so important for everybody, no matter what you're making. Um, just having that be the conversation is important. But then him finally getting out from under the whole mm-hmm. Warner Brothers situation and, and being able to hopefully do uh, more of what he wants in the future is encouraging also. Well, it's kind of Zack Snyder's career is so interesting to follow because it is affecting other huge names mm-hmm. in the industry. Now <coughs> his battle with Warner brothers has become so public. Mm-hmm. And then the whole idea of Warner brothers keeps like wanting to change how their directors are, are making films. They're like constantly right. keeping both hands in the cookie jar and trying to keep <laughs> the, the actual artist out of the cookie jar, you know, like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Um, it's crazy. So Snyder finally gets out from Warner brothers and signs on with like some huge Netflix deals. I can't wait to see what he's got coming with that. Yeah. Um, but then as soon as Snyder gets free from them, Christopher Nolan comes out and is like, yeah, I'm fucking done with Warner brothers. Like (laughs) they keep trying to undermine him. They keep trying to tell Nolan, you can't make what you want to make. Or if you're going to, we want you to do it this way. He's been battling ever since he came out too. Mm -hmm. And now he's done with them. He flat out like cut all his ties with them. Yeah. How do you lose? (laughs) Man. But it's in turn to like, the disrespect the studio has for the filmmaker, for the artist is so prominent. Right. That now we're fine. We're like, we're watching the studio losing filmmakers and right. coming out. We've got fans that are signing petitions now to boycott Warner brothers films in general because mm-hmm. of how they mishandle the artist's vision is primarily right. with like comic book movies, but it's still the artist's visions right. that Warner it's, Brothers keeps interfering with. It's the most ridiculous thing to me. It's like if you had a restaurant and you you have all these chefs who want to make this amazing stuff. They want to try new things and new dishes that people will like and haven't tried before. And you say, no, you need to make grilled cheese. We've done tests. People like grilled cheese. You can only make grilled cheese. 
And these creators, good for them, are saying, no, I don't want to do that. I'm leaving. And they should. They should all leave. Warner Brothers should uh, be defunct. And, and I think Warner Brothers this year or in the next couple of years, I mean, they're they're a huge power. So I'm not saying they're going to be like, oh, we're going to watch the crumble or the yeah. fall of WB. It's probably not happening, folks. Let's not face it. Soon, but... Even if you're someone that signed the boycott or like are going to be a part of it, they're Warner Brothers. Right. You're, they're still going to make money. You mm. yourself will probably find yourself going to a Warner Brothers film. Oh, yeah. It's just... It, it's one of those things that's kind of inevitable in mm-hmm. human nature. We're going to see the, we're all going to go see the Batman in March. You so. right. <laughs> <laughs> you like, can't, wild horses can't keep me away from that. Movie, so it's it's going to happen folks. But what I hope for and think we might actually see mm-hmm. is some kind of effect that Warner brothers, you know, they might lose more contracts with filmmakers or with actors and all this. Mm-hmm. They That could be coming down the line mm-hmm. more so. Right. Especially not, if they continue to interfere. Not only are you losing the ones you have, but other ones on the outside, other creators are seeing how the people are being treated in this environment. They're not going to sign up with you. The yeah. next generation of creators, are you have this stigma now attached to you, Warner Brothers, that new content creators are not going to want to work with you for this very reason. And so the well is going to dry up in that sense. Yeah. At this rate, we're going to see a 24 become like the massive conglomerate studio because I was going to be like, they tell crazy fucking stories Mm -hmm. and don't seem to care about interfering. I mean, they just made a movie about a lamb person thing. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, they make a lot of crazy stuff, but also everything I've seen from them has been good. Yeah, um, and then Netflix has been very vocal of like, no, we don't, mm-hmm. we don't give notes. Like, you want to yeah. make a story? If we take your story on, you're going to make your story. Right. Since the very beginning, that's kind of always been what attracted people to Netflix, creators to Netflix has been. Yeah. There's like, yeah, we'll give you a shitload of money, make whatever you want. It can be a movie. It can be a series. We don't care. Whatever it should be, whatever the vision is, do it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, we won't keep doing it, but we'll give it a try. Right. I mean, you would almost hope to be able to make a film on Netflix more than a show because they do seem to be like, oh, you got one season of a show and then ended on cliffhanger? <laughs> nah, we're done. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's move on. Uh, but... Even like HBO has been promoting, hey, you want to make your stuff? If we decide mm-hmm. to to produce it, like, yeah, we want it to be yours. Prime, I think Prime's still kind of iffy. I could see Prime. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still waiting for Prime to put something out that's actually like, whoa. Yeah. But we'll find out. Yeah. They have more um, of a, a less defined culture, I think, than yeah. the other ones. But, you know, we're going to also see all these other studios. You could take, like, Paramount or DreamWorks, all these other production companies watching Warner Brothers. Because there's a lot of eyes on Warner Brothers these days. And I could almost see those other big hitters also Mm -hmm. being kind of like, you know what? Yeah. Maybe we don't lose our filmmakers. (laughs) Maybe we... uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to give the occasional note, but don't tell a filmmaker, hey, you got to cut out, like... 35 minutes of actual storyline. Right. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, it, you should be paying attention, if, all of you other people who are in the area, even if you're not under fire now, at least, you know, feel the temperature of the room that <laughs> this is where it's going, and for good reason, I think. Well, and if these studios don't want to have to completely battle streaming, yeah, they're going to have to start listening to the actual audiences, are going to have to actually start listening to filmmakers mm -hmm. and be like, oh, audiences actually are okay with sitting through a three-hour film or <laughs> right. they're actually okay with this aspect or they this will work you know because mm -hmm. the director's cut or the you know mm -hmm. sure we'll stick with director because extended cuts tend to not be extended maybe by like a minute <laughs> like what the fuck is this yeah uh sometimes sometimes the extended cut is like oh this was the original cut okay yeah. i.e. Sucker Punch, which we are transitioning back into, folks. Don't worry. This is all part of it, because Warner Brothers did the same shit on Sucker Punch. Yeah, it's it, it all ties back together, because <laughs> there was a theatrical version of Sucker Punch. I think it is officially called the extended cut of Sucker Punch, yeah. which came out later and is 18 minutes longer and, and seems like it is much more of a pure vision. Yeah, uh, close, closer, much certainly closer to the vision than the original was. The original is PG thirteen. The extended version, it's not. This, Sucker Punch is so interesting to me because it is so dark. The content of it is so unsettling on so many levels. But if you're looking at exactly what is happening and and who is like her, their dad, the dad is a great example. So you get such a uncomfortable vibe from him from the very beginning he never like actually touches baby doll or her sister yeah he, he he never really does anything other than stand there loosen his necktie uh like just and then get like take her to the asylum but it's so clear through the visuals and everything that he's a scumbag, that he's disgusting, that she she is going to be abused, or he's going to he can't get to her, so he's going to abuse the little sister, and so she needs to save her, and and so the fact I don't know where I was going with this the the, the, the fact so that all of those I think I know where you're were, going with that all those little things were added back in like 18 minutes were added back in, yeah. but it's still not it's still not like hard r level no it does have an official r rating um oh i should have brought the case over uh give me a second because the okay. rating reasons are yeah. different oh okay. it's very funny and i thought this was interesting i'll be right back so the pg-13 rating is pg-13 mm -hmm. for thematic material involving sexuality violence and combat sequences and for language okay the r-rated version the extended cut yeah. Is sexual content, some violence, and brief language. I think it's funny that the PG-13 <laughs> like has less. a harsher reasoning than the yeah. R rating. And the sexual content, I think it's funny that they highlight sexual content on this movie. Yeah. Um, there is no sex. No. There's, there is there's... a scene of, like, two characters kissing. Yeah. There's conversation about sex where if you are an adult and you know what they're talking about, you know that baby doll is a virgin who is being sold to this guy to yeah de-virginize but that's 
a very adult conversation. So I guess there's sexual themes. There's, maybe. I mean, there's like not sexual content. You understand it being a brothel and the women talk about like, you know, Jenna Malone's character rocket takes her to one of the rooms that they work in and they mm -hmm. like Snyder's the way he tells a story and kind of back to what you were bringing up with, like the understanding you have of certain characters without getting a full history of the character. Mm -hmm. He does such a great job of just keeping it kind of simple, but the visual cues around you just mm -hmm. fill in so many gaps, you know, with the stepdad, right? You see him that first time, you see him opening the will and kind of getting discouraged immediately. Mm -hmm. Your brain fills in all the gaps of like, you've been abusive, not just recently, but probably the entire time you've been with this family. Right. The and mom doesn't the trust gone. you. She doesn't trust you to be a caregiver to the kids. She's leaving everything to her daughters. Yeah. And you just, you understand, you never see him. I mean, you see him like shove a door open and it pushes baby doll to the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, you see a, an enlarged button spinning around on the floor. And it's crazy how that button is also a cue that just in your head, just like, oh, here's all the gross details that we're just going to yeah. fill in for you. And you're yeah. like, it's it's a button on the floor, but in your mind, you're going undressing, awkward, like rape. It, all yeah, you stuff. just, you, you fill in all the gaps. But I, I respect how Snyder does this because he fills all these gaps and he gives you all the history you actually need. Mm -hmm. without having to show any of the like ultra disgusting stuff, even in the brothel. Yeah. The closest thing you get to actually seeing any of the gross stuff is one of the women sitting on the mayor's lap. Yeah. And kind of like, I don't saying cuddling or snuggling on him just sounds mm -hmm. so wrong because that, that implies like, mm -hmm. Consent well, she, and like, she is <laughs> she is choosing to kiss him on the neck as a way to distract it, it's him. a giant distraction they have a yeah. conversation of doing that to distract yeah. him the girls come uh, up with a plan and she has to do that in order to steal the lighter from him yeah but at no point do you see the women actually taken into the room you never see yeah like anyone being thrown down onto the bed or any Nobody's of that undressed even partially yeah, there, there's no disrobing. There's mm -hmm. no... It, it's. I think it, I respect him how he did that. Yeah. Where he's like, I'm going to fill the gaps in without actually showing any right. of the stuff. Yeah. You just it, have an understanding. It's telling a very sensitive story in a very honest way and also a very respectful way, which yeah. is not... not it's uncomfortable, but it's not in a bad way uncomfortable. It's in a just a you get the gist uncomfortable kind of way. Yeah. So I, I have such high respect for him, especially his approach for taking this story on and, sh and telling the story. I, I just mm -hmm. I love how he filled all these gaps and he's done it with almost all of his films. Yeah. Um, it's a good visual, a, a visual storyteller, a lot of. Yeah, story storytellers and, will tell you everything you need to know. He just shows it to you, and while he's telling you things that you have no idea what the fuck he's even talking about, like the, <laughs> they will have several of his movies. Uh, Batman vs Superman especially comes to mind. Sucker Punch especially has these narrations over visuals. Yeah, that you don't know what she's talking about really. She's talking about guardian angels, and you're like, that's good. 
you assume the girl talking is the girl you're watching, baby doll, that she's being taken as play. She's talking about guardian angels. Oh, good. She'll be saved. Um, yeah, if you rewatch the movie, you realize, oh, that's not baby doll talking. This movie, <laughs> like at all, <laughs> they tell they tell you directly a couple times. This isn't even baby doll's story. She's just in it, and it's really sweet piece story. <laughs> yeah, um, which is interesting. But I think, yeah, he he does a great job of showing you everything you need to know instead yeah. of just coming out and telling you. Oh, I well, was, and he'll I even was like he'll even throw in sometimes the dialogue will be kind of vague. Yeah. But you you get a full scope of like that character's history or relationships through just a little bit of vague dialogue. You just have this overwhelming like, oh, I get it. Yeah, I think my favorite example of his use with this actually isn't in Sucker Punch. It would be in his in the Snyder Cut of Justice League between mm. the conversation of Joker and Batman mm. in the nightmare sequence. They don't give you a history. Of each right. other, like a full drawn out history. Joker has a few key lines. Mm-hmm. Batman has like two real responses. And you understand, mm-hmm. like, as a comic book fan, you immediately are just like, oh my God, everything I've read <laughs> these two characters go through mm-hmm. is real. <laughs> like, yeah. you just, Snyder does a such, he's so good at giving you just a full kind of emotional understanding, not just like a basic, oh, I get it, but you feel it, like in your core, you feel how deep these characters' stories actually go and how much they've been through, Mm -hmm. and they can be pretty vague. I I find it hard, like, I get it, he's not for everyone, but as a huge fan of his, I still, like, find myself questioning, how do people not attached to his stuff more <laughs> yeah 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 for me personally it's it's exactly it connects on such a deep level like you said it's not just oh i understand this on a mental level like yeah. in my soul i understand what these characters are going through what they're motivated by and how they overcome it and all the everything that happens in the story i get it i connect with it i think and i, I love like in Sucker Punch, a lot of all that stuff, I mean, the whole movie, minus the first seven minutes, mm-hmm. are all in the fantasy world. Yeah. Well, at first, like, seven minutes, and then the last, like, five. Yeah. That whole gap, and it's a two-hour film, is all in the fantasy world. So I think it's crazy how he uses, like, not only the details of the actual mental institution kind of like bleeding into the fantasy world Mm -hmm. or melding into it. But the dialogue, the situations that all the women go through, talk about, kind of hint about. Um, I feel like Rocket is such a great example of the character who is, she's the most bubbly of the group. She's very like extroverted. Mm -hmm. But the more times you watch Sucker Punch, I think she might be the most damaged yeah. And I think all of the extroversion is just her like defense mechanism. It's almost mm-hmm. her personal way of rebelling against the trauma that she's going through and has been through. Mm-hmm. Um instead of like letting it beat her down, she's just like, Well, fine, fuck you. I'll just Yeah. <laughs> I'll do the polar opposite of what you think I should be doing. Right. <laughs> Trying to be as normal as possible that everything's okay and she's yeah. there to make friends and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I 
Plus, I really like Jenna Malone. She's one of those actresses I have always wished yeah. was in more things because I love her in everything I watch her in. Mm-hmm. I just so every time she shows up on screen in Sucker Punch, every time I'm like, yes, there she is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's great. Even when she, she, in the extended version of Batman versus Superman, when she shows up, I'm like, yeah, why were you? Uh, Right, you're like, there she is. Yeah, I was so excited when she was like cast for that, and then she wasn't even in it. They cut her out of the theatrical. Fucking Warner Brothers. Okay. So, Uh, (laughs) this is not a podcast about Warner Brothers, though. This is a podcast about Sucker Punch. But Um, we both knew. And you as our listeners, if you've listened to our show before, yeah. you should already understand whenever Snyder's name comes up, Jake and I are going to just go <laughs> on an anti-WB rant for a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. And we well, we don't often talk shop about the Hollywood process. And so I think it, it was interesting. So it's yeah, totally yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Sucker Punch. <laughs> and the other interesting thing, we touched on the sexual content. The violence, I think, is also especially interesting because... I was trying to keep track and I may have missed it, but I'm pretty sure there's only one time you see blood in the movie. And it's, and it's, I think it's actually only in the extended cut, if I remember right. But uh, when she, at the very beginning, when she tries to shoot her, her stepdad or whoever he is, um, she's very close to him, but she misses him. And then her second shot hits him in the arm and he like shows the blood on his hand. Well, he, so he's holding his arm. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he shows the camera, the blood, the blood that oh, no, you no. see You're is right. it's her, it's her from her sister. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, baby dog goes in, she misses her dad, accidentally hits the steam pipe, which is very interesting um, because the steam shoots out. And I think that that embeds into her mind. And we'll talk about that later. Um but she does accidentally shoot her sister in the closet and her sister dies. She sees her sister's blood on her hands. Yeah. I think that's the only time you see any blood in the movie. So there's all of the, well, there's that. And then technically there are two more times. Technically. Uh, The other time is when you see the lobotomy tool get dipped into the sanitizer. There's a little bit of blood on the end of it. And then when you see um, blue, Oscar Isaac's actual orderly character. Yeah. You see blood seeping through the bandage on his shoulder and neck. Okay. Uh, but it but none of the blood in the movie is like grotesque. It's yeah. not overdone. It's it's not even like really focused on except for her hand, but it's in a yeah. dark closet. So the mm. only reason you understand it's blood is one, we've seen that kind of shot in like every drama and action movie ever. Mm-hmm. Where someone has blood on their hands, right? Um, but the glistening of it, because it's a pretty dark closet, it's a pretty dark opening. Mm-hmm. Just the lighting is really yeah. dark, and she shot. So you the see, light. yeah, you see the glistening of on her fingertips, and it's one of those shots where even if the movie was like in black and white, mm-hmm. or there wasn't any like real light in that shot, and all you saw was the the light glisten. You would understand immediately, oh, crap, there's blood on her hands. Yeah. Uh, which literally, it's her fault for doing that. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So, Good, best of intentions, right. trying to save your sister. She did. But you did the exact opposite of save your sister. Um, so I do you. like that you brought up the steam that does play in later. And I do agree with you without even hearing you say your case. Okay. Like, 
yeah, I think that sticks with her. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, it's, it's just one of those things that sticks out to me so intentionally. Um, well, he the, focuses on it. Yeah. It's the fastest little shot, but you're like, that looks exactly like this other thing that happens later <laughs> a lot, which I think is really cool. It's probably my favorite uh, sequence in the movie. So it might be why I focused on it too. Possibly, possibly. Uh, uh, the other thing that's so awesome and weird at the same time about Sucker Punch and Zack Snyder in general is his choice of music for his, films. Yes. And he is very specific when it yeah. comes to music. Not only he doesn't typically will play, well, he usually uses a cover of right. a song. Like he'll have a someone song. do a cover of a famous song. Mm. Uh, he does have like actual songs used throughout his films as well. But this one is especially interesting to me because Emily Browning, who plays Baby Doll, actually sings on three of the songs that are oh, played really? in the movie. Okay. Yes. So I she sings uh, Sweet Dreams at the beginning mm. of the film during Baby Doll's backstory. Yeah, which is a song all about... I mean, that's part of how he contributes to you understanding her situation because it's <laughs> yes. songs all about... Some so this somebody wants to abuse you. Somebody times sometimes they want to be abused. All that stuff. You're like, this is about abuse. Okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I understand it. Yeah, he uses music not just to fill in like the background or to help convey the emotion, which it still does, but he uses the actual songs and the lyrics of the songs to help move the story and tell they're just another proponent of the story. It's almost like when you read a book and you have all the tiny little details mm -hmm. to give you the full picture. Snyder does that through song lyrics that are playing during the course of a scene, which I think is really, it, it's so cool. He doesn't, he gets a ton of credit for his opening sequences being just like the most epic thing you'll ever watch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. His montages are amazing. Um, but I really, I think a lot of that comes from his background and directing music videos, which is where his actual filmmaking career started off was yeah. making music videos. Um, but yeah, so she's seeing sweet dreams at the beginning. She does a guest spot on the cover of where is my mind. She okay. actually sings the, where is my mind part of the song. Interesting. Uh, which is fun. If the song sounds kind of familiar to the wider audience, that is the same song used at the very end of Fight Club. But mm. this is a cover of that version. Yeah. So it's really cool to hear the two very contrasting versions of the song. I really like this version. I like the mm -hmm. other one more. Um, sure. But I think it's very interesting that she sings that part and it that yeah. song is used right at the beginning. Well, during the whole lennox house opening because mm. uh, it's kind of super important because you see the doctor and the tools and that's where the movie cuts right <laughs> yeah the, the whole lead up like when she gets to the place there's a very important conversation in the theater with dr gersky and all that stuff but after she's like is in she's established in this place there's a montage of time that passes. You don't know how fast. And then all of a sudden she's in the chair about to get a lobotomy. And you're like, oh, well, that's the whole story, basically. Yeah, you're and, like, oh, shit. She's been here five days already. Yeah. And then and then it goes into the, the other world. So that whole sequence is very interesting and important. Yeah. Um, first time I watched that movie, 
I did not like for some reason it just mm. did not connect that first time I saw it of like mm. oh oh she's already experienced everything this is just her mind and it's one of my favorite things about the movie like more times I've watched it especially that second time I saw it because mm. it came out in oh I don't know the date that this one came out 2011 I think oh I was gonna say earlier than that 2011 yeah 2011 for sure okay um so yeah wow this movie's like 11 years old wow yeah crazy um yeah i saw it when it first came out and then uh obviously i watch it pretty often uh (laughs) but that first time it just like for some reason in my brain and i think i think he does he did this very masterful Mm-hmm. Where he shows you, yeah, hey, it's been five days. Yeah. Fantasy world. You don't even understand that first time that you watched it, like, oh. Yeah. She's already being lobotomized. <laughs> like, yeah. All you really have is, like, a line of dialogue from the orderly that says the the doctor's coming in five days and he's the one who can give her a lobotomy. And... And then it goes through that sequence and sh- the guy's there and you're like, oh, okay. And then it goes into the whole rest of the movie. I don't think it's till the very end when when she she's, gets the lobotomy, she's walking back through the whole uh, building and yeah. you see all of the things that connect you to the club world, the fantasy world in her mind actually happened. Like the, the chef's missing his knife and like you said, the blue has the cut in his neck or a bandage uh, cut on his neck. And so you're like, oh, that happened. Everything we saw in that world did happen. The the closet is burned down. They're like boarding it up. Yeah. They mention, hey, an inmate escaped. And you're like, it, it's crazy to me because thinking back on it, you're like, okay, so if these key things actually happened, mm-hmm. that means that the the death scenes that we see in the movie Right. Probably didn't take place exactly how you see it in the movie, but that means that did they <laughs> actually happen? It means Amber is dead, Blondie is dead. Yes. <laughs> it, I also like in in like the third level deep, Rocket dies. Right. And you're like, okay, so yeah, all of those people well, except for So I went back even further. I, I tried to dive deeper into it and was like, okay. Do the other girls even exist? Or was it just Sweet Pea? Yeah. That is a very good question. It's hard to say because the only ones that seem grounded in reality are Baby Doll and Sweet Pea. Yeah, because Sweet Pea is the one that's on the stage in the theater when she gets brought in and being introduced. Yeah. Sweet Pea's up on the theater. Yeah. And <laughs> and there's even a a there's even an interesting connection between sweet pea and baby doll because right before right where after they cut where she's about to be lobotomized they cut and the next very next scene is sweet pea standing up who's dressed like baby doll right getting out of a lobotomy chair and in the theater they're basically doing that scene and so you're like was was it real was it not real is it a play is it not a play and and it, it does baby doll exist or is it sweet pea like combined it's it can, it's a little confusing at first i do think it's generally 
exactly what you see is my yeah. takeaway. So it's fine. So on uh, the Blu-ray extended cut, mm. I think they have it on the, the theatrical as well. But once you watch an <laughs> actual Snyder cut of something, I mean, do you ever mm. watch the cut version? No. No. Why would you do that? <laughs> but, <laughs> uh he has it like they do this in movie making of. So you watch the whole movie and he cuts in during the course of the movie and breaks down scenes, storytelling, mm. tools they did. And so the third time I watched it this week, I watched it in that mode. Okay. Hoping for, all right, Snyder, you got to give us like <laughs> some form of answer of what is real, who yeah. is real. Yeah. And you got to tell me if the ending is real because mm -hmm. the ending is also up for debate for right. a lot of audiences. Uh, we'll get to that obviously, because I'm curious to hear your take on the ending and yeah. I'm sure we'll end up sharing probably the same take, but <laughs> <laughs> guess what? Snyder does not give you a definitive answer. He actually jokes about towards of the end of the movie on his like making of, where he goes, we wanted people to kind of debate what was real and what happened, what didn't yeah. happen. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> That's a genius move on his part. Don't ruin it. That's the best way. But I would say after you've seen Sucker Punch, you should go back and try to watch it in this mode where he mm -hmm. breaks it down. Because it's really interesting how he does it. It's really fun. Because he'll even break down like why certain people got cast, kind mm -hmm. of the, the way they were going with a certain scene. Uh, they'll even put in like the actual storyboards during the course of the oh, film so you can see nice. like, oh, cool. And it, mm. if you are a filmmaker or aspiring filmmaker, I thought this was a cool thing. I know this feature is also done on a handful of other movies. I kind of want to go and watch some of those as well. Mm -hmm. um, because to me, seeing those storyboards that they show actually kind of like gave me a little bit of peace. Because I know when you try to draw storyboards... Sometimes people can get caught up in trying to be overly detailed with it and all this. Yeah. Storyboards for this are some of the most simple, mm -hmm. just quick like sketches. And that was kind of comforting to me of like, okay, you yeah. don't have to get caught up in trying to make it look perfect as a filmmaker or aspiring filmmaker or whatever. So watch yeah. it. It's really cool because they give you like breakdown how to set up the sets. And this is a hundred percent green screen. Mm-hmm film which is crazy but yeah yeah a lot like 300 <laughs> yeah. uh, anyways um, it was a cool mode <laughs> that is a cool mode i should check that out one of the speaking of did it happen that way or is it real or is it not one of the things i wanted to ask you about happens at the very beginning after the dad or stepdad takes her to the lennox house mm -hmm. he fills out her like entrance form and it says he's like female 20 yeah. Do you feel like he lied about her age, or is she actually the tiniest 20-year-old you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> okay. I actually think um, that she is possibly older than 20. Okay. Because And... I, I'm not super well versed, so if anyone else is actually versed in this, you can chime in. Tell me I'm like completely off base, but I kind of <laughs> feel like he does lie about the age, but he makes her younger than what she actually is, so that oh, he okay. can incarcerate her in this place. 
Mm -hmm. Even though 18 is technically a minor. But this is also like some other world that you don't have any clue yeah. what time yeah. this movie takes place. Yeah, you're like, this might be the 50s, maybe? Like, there's aspects and some things that could be the 50s, but then there's also aspects that are not the 50s. They it's could also be like, like the 2011. 90s or 2011. <laughs> it's, and, and Snyder did that on purpose, because he wanted to make a timeless movie. Yeah. And I really appreciate making a timeless film, because that means you don't get hung up on mm -hmm. a date. Right. Which helps, and we're that that that's a subject that we're going to dive into next week. But little hint, uh, <laughs> that's a very good hint, actually. Um, so I part of me actually wonders if Baby Doll is actually older, but he's lying to make her younger so that his okay. choice of putting her in this mental institution is mm -hmm. like, oh, she's she's not an adult yet, or okay, a, at least twenty one year old, if you will. That could be. Uh, yeah, or he thinking... is straight up lying so that he's not like completely, oh, you are just as gross as we all thought. She could right. be like 18. Um, I was thinking the more of the <laughs> other direction where she could be 16 or 17. And they, yeah. and he knew that they were going to put her into this sort of sexually abusive scenario and, and, and didn't, didn't want them to reject her or not take her because she's too young or not legal or whatever. Like they knew that they were, they were bad, but yeah, you're not, so and, a you lot know, of people aren't that bad, you know, as I say all that out loud, it all made super sense in my head. But when I said it out loud, I'm like, no, she's like 16, 17. He's lying to, so that he doesn't come across quite as gross, but okay. then he still comes across gross because the orderly Oscar Isaac is like, Whatever you did to her dad, I don't care. We're gonna mm -hmm. take care of it. And you're like, ew. Yeah, I'm just gonna make her forget all about it with this lobotomy. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, so I actually retract my original thought and I side with yours. <laughs> okay, cool. I like being right. That works for me. Um, so they they take her into this theater room. They call it the theater. Uh, mm -hmm. Doctor Gorski is there. Uh, essentially, she's the therapist of the whole hospital essentially but she's also seems to be teaching these girls are using uh how does a uh, blue or oscar isaac's character i don't know if his name's blue in the real world but he describes uh, her using this like polish therapy in the theater yeah. to, to help them deal with their issues and uh put essentially through putting on a show in this theater room which is i think partially referring to the rest of the movie that happens to be an illusion or a, a fantasy. I, I do agree with you. I think it's an interesting thing that they call it the theater. Cause when he says that, I take that more of kind of him being like uh, cheeky about it. Just mm -hmm. kind of being like, this is where we put all of these crazy people uh, as he views them or mm -hmm. all these crazy women as he yeah. views them into this room. And it's a, a show for these horrible orderlies but then right. you see on stage because on the floor there's a big fight but on the stage you can see the doctor using the stage as kind of her therapy mm -hmm. session where she's yeah, like trying to get yeah she's trying to get the women to kind of reenact to be able to process through the stuff that they went through mm -hmm. um and i actually think that's kind of an interesting thing i don't agree with that method 
I think that's kind of a dangerous method, especially if you're trying to like yeah. help people work through trauma. But I like that that little thing about that doctor because I think that feeds into the fantasy version of her where mm-hmm. she means well, but her execution is just not right. Yeah, that's a good point too, where she <laughs> yeah. is she is on the girl's side trying to help them, but not not doing a good job of it overall. Right. And also <laughs> the the play nature of it, the theatrical nature of the therapy plays into the theatrical nature of the movie and the fantasy mm-hmm. that 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 uh, she plays out in her mind. You see that very first interaction. So the Dr. Gorski character is probably the one of the most important characters in the movie because every line she has plays two different ways. She is yeah. it plays in the exact scene that it's in, but also refers to something else at the same time. And so that first scene when she's talking to that other girl on the stage, Baby Doll sees it and Liz listening and kind of absorbing immediately. And she's directing that girl to uh, she says, what you're imagining right now, that world you control, that place can be as real as any, uh, as any <laughs> right. pain. And so <laughs> that living in an imaginary world and using it plays in deeply into the rest of the movie. That's like the very <laughs> it, first hint. It, it kind of really helps set. It's a part of setting the whole stage for the mm. rest of the story. Um, yeah, that th- every time they walk into that room and the orderly is like, we call this the theater. Every time I'm like, oh, that's so mm-hmm. cringy. Like, I can just imagine. And then as you see the fantasy world play out, considering everything that happens in Baby Doll's fantasy mm-hmm. is directly correlated somehow, whether it's a small detail or whatever, or just the mm-hmm. atmosphere to the real world, to reality in the Lennox house. Yeah. Um, it kind of makes the whole brothel thing even more gross, especially hearing him call it the theater because they're putting the women on display and you're like Mm -hmm. four other orderlies or four other disgusting men who are paying the orderly off to have their way with these um, mentally unhealthy women. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just like, there's so many layers to it where you're like, this gets gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and but you find you, yourself rooting so much more for the women to right. like, all right, we got to get out of here. <laughs> right. Exactly. And if you know anything about history and, and especially early on mental institutions, abuse was rampant, like constantly, yeah. especially, especially for mental institutions where, People aren't uh, all there entirely, whether they've been lobotomized or shock therapy or what have you. Um, And so this is just a great representation. It's disgusting, but it's a great representation of that. And yeah, you think he's, he is the orderly is taking $2,000, a tiny amount of money on the grand scale of he's taking $2,000 to have this girl lobotomized against her will and against the will of the doctor who would uh, is essentially in her care. And so what else will you let people do for an even smaller amount of money to these poor girls? It's terrifying. So yeah, that's a very good point. I think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So after we talked about it already a little bit, there's like a montage of um, 
her five days there. Mm-hmm. She ends up in the lobotomy chair, and right before she's getting lobotomized, you see the spike like right in front of her face. Right before she gets lobotomized, there's like a cut, and uh, you hear stop, and then that's where that scene I mentioned where um, she sits up out of the chair, but it's not Baby Doll. It's Sweet Pea dressed like Baby Doll, and she was getting a lobotomy on stage in the theater, and it kind of switches. Like something is different about this world now. You don't really know it immediately. But, but you, you catch up. Well, because it like the camera follows Sweet Pea up out of the chair, you see the other girls dressed up as uh, who will be the high roller and then the two nurses. Yeah. Um, and then you see the doctor who's dressed pretty fancy. Like, yeah. <laughs> <Not> like <laughs> everything suddenly like Dr. Uh, Schwez. It's suddenly a very vibrant environment and you get that because the camera slowly shows you more like the shots mm-hmm. becomes just subtly wider yeah. as this whole quick open, you know, into the fantasy world comes up. And that's when you really understand like, Oh, we aren't just in like the mental institution. We are officially in mm-hmm. like some kind of other world. Where am I? Uh, because, the marketing for the film was horrible. They marketed the trailers all showed this to be some crazy action movie of these like four women mm-hmm. being given missions to go on. Yeah. Um, that's not what the movie is at all. <laughs> no, not at all. It's like, uh, and I think that's a great point, especially for this scene, because as Sweet Pea stops the scene and talks to the doctor or director or the now madam of this club and she's like, this, this doesn't really make sense. I don't understand the point of this play or scene or whatever it is we're mm-hmm. doing. It, because it, what we do, it should be to turn people on. And she gets the sexy schoolgirl stuff. And she even gets the helpless mental patient stuff. But she doesn't understand why lobotomized vegetables would be sexy. Right. And she even says, how about something more commercial, for God's sake? And I feel like that's Zack Snyder talking through the screen of like <laughs> people, the audience and the critics and the studios and everybody is tr- like saying that they're like, yeah, this is supposed to be a movie about sexy chicks going on missions. <laughs> and, and it's not, this like is not all. commercial at all. And, uh, <laughs> and it's not what I expected. And that, that is, I think that's him saying, yes, I know what you think it is. I know what you want it to be, but it's something bigger than that. Is what I'm trying yeah. to get across. Yeah, which I feel like he's been trying to get audiences, at least on mass, to understand mm-hmm. for like the last 17 years. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you realize that they're in a different world. Things look the same. People are there. They're all playing the same roles essentially, but now. Oscar Isaac's character is named Blue. He is not an orderly. He's the owner of this club or brothel or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There's drugs and gambling and uh, very obviously that these girls are prostitutes or being prostituted out. Um, not that they chose a career in it exactly. And and so they have uh, Blue has brought Baby Doll in as a as a special treat for the high roller who comes in five days. He is the same doctor who will be the lobotomizer in five Mm -hmm. days. So that mirror is there. 
And so the high roller is coming five days to deflower her, which is disgusting, but whatever. And, <laughs> and so she is essentially, that's her, she's just hanging out basically for five days until that happens. She can't be like, um, she's not any, like all the rest of the girls who are just, you know, normal, uh, career women in the brothel. I don't know what I'm trying to say. So, well, but- she's like the only, <laughs> so she's the, she is baby dolls, the virgin of yeah. the whole brothel now. Right. And that's why she's being held for the high rollers so that he's the one that gets to take her. But he, yeah. his whole speech, I, his speech is so interesting. I'm, I'm <laughs> right. I'm excited to get to that. <laughs> But that's to come. But yeah, he has a very yeah. odd speech for being the kind of character he is. Yeah. And Blue keep Blue talks several times in the movie about how Baby Doll was brought in to make him a ton of money because the high roller will pay an exorbitant amount of money for that experience. Mm-hmm. In reality, you're getting two thousand dollars. It's not not like a ton of money. It's kind of uh, funny to me. Depending on what time period this movie takes That's place, true. that could be a ton of money. But it's true. we will never know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening in 2022. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Inflation. Okay, so Oscar Isaac. <laughs> the funniest part of this movie to me, which I, I don't, I, it's probably the part I like the least, but I tolerate it because it's, entertaining at, at minimum is the big musical dance number that uh, Oscar Isaac and everybody has. It's kind of yes. a montage of this is what life is like in this club. Baby doll is kind of a stage hand. She's not performing or anything, but they have their first night at the club and uh, she is observing this huge song that Oscar Isaac sings. Um, it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, so the song is uh, "Love Is a Drug," yeah, or the drug is love. It's I don't both. Know the name. It's, both. <laughs> it's very um, Moulin Rouge-y, which is out of place. And I like Moulin Rouge, but it's kind of out of place in a Zack Snyder movie. See, I kind of like the first time I saw it, I was a little like, "Well, this is weird." Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how I feel about this one. Um, but then I watched it a couple more times, right? And now I'm like, nope. I get it. Mm-hmm. One, Snyder even said in the like the uh, the making of thing version of the film, where he's like, "This is kind of a fun callback for me to like the music video days." He got to help mm. work with choreography and all this, but he wanted to show the girls, even if it was for a split second, all their different dances. Yeah, and kind of like they're different costumes or themes. Their costume and like kind of their uh how do you word it? It's like an introduction to them. It, yeah, know. they're they're kind of like you're getting a glimpse to their personalities through this dance sequence. Mm-hmm. Um I I kind of like by the time I I got it and kind of understood it, I'm okay with the montage. The only part of it that I don't care for is the very, 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 very end of it where she's holding the mic with the heel of her shoe yeah. and she whispers it. There's just something about that that every time I've watched it, I'm like, eh. Yeah. Eh. I think it would have yeah. been better if the lights just like cut out when she kicks him away, but yeah. that's just me. And that's such a minute thing, but I kind of right. get it. I feel like I get that whole montage. Um, 
just as the like the theatricality of this fantasy world or this brothel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a a decent introduction to the outer persona that the yeah. doctor and blue are putting on for their audiences mm-hmm. and even for the girls yeah. when behind the scenes behind that curtain, they're actually not good people. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. <at> all. <laughs> and, and also for the clientele, because it kind of partly follows one guy who like yeah. is gambling and gets kicked out and roughed up and pulls a gun and all that stuff. So it's a it's a dangerous CD place, you know. Yeah, you so get, I you get the feeling. I'm all right with the musical number, but that first time you watch it, it does feel just so out of place and mm-hmm. random. It really, yeah. I agree with you on that. It really, yeah. And there's something <laughs> about like the very next scene when they're all going to bed and the uh, baby doll's crying, like in the bathroom. The song that plays during that. It sounds like it sounds. It's like I, I don't know if it's a cappella or something. It sounds like somebody's singing it, and I'm like, "Is this a musical?" Well, I think when I first saw it, I was like, "Is this a musical?" Well, it's is, funny is that you thought it was. Uh, someone's like, "That is the second song or third song okay. that Emily Browning sings. That is okay. Baby Doll singing that song, which to me it adds a layer most. of like uh, emotion, kind of a very mm-hmm. deep hit because that that song is tragic." Yeah, it, the lyrics are like asking for someone to help give this woman peace and to like help her sleep, you know, get away from this. And yeah. then it it focuses on baby doll just breaking down in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and there's not really any dialogue or conversation. I mean, Rocket checks on her, but there's no actual. Yeah, like this. This focuses the song really, which I thought uh, of interesting little uh, note. Emily Browning, although being the title actress and character in Sucker Punch, she doesn't have a word of dialogue for 18 minutes into the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's it's, there's very long stretches, especially at the beginning, where there's narration, but but she doesn't do... She doesn't say anything. She does a lot, right. but she doesn't say anything. Uh, yeah, I actually... I really like... I didn't take that song as like, oh, is this a musical? I took that as like, oh... This feels extra tragic. And then when I found yeah. out that the actress is actually the one singing the song during that scene, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It feels real tragic now. Oh, my yeah. God. It lands for sure. <laughs> um, so the the I think shortly after that, you have Rocket, who is uh, Jenna Malone's character, who's working in the kitchen and tries to steal like a snack or something and gets confronted by this chef who's a giant dude. And he's a giant guy who tries to take advantage of her. Yeah. Assaults her, like pins her down. He's so much heavier than her. So she can't get away. And then baby doll who's scrubbing the floor hears something and comes in and saves rocket. She's essentially her guardian angel um, Mm -hmm. calling back to the beginning of the movie. And so saves her from the chef. They get away and, go to a dance class. The <laughs> right. Da- the dance class uh, is kind of the main, is like the first big thing that happens, but that's like an actual action sequence. Yeah. Cause baby doll is given a piece of music again. Um, mm-hmm. 
to dance to, and everyone's kind of congregating. Blue and his his goons, excuse me, are are all congregating. She's kind of nervous, doesn't do it, mm-hmm. and then they like restart the song for her, and that's when you dive into the third layer of fantasy, yeah, or the second well, layer of fantasy, but the third, third. level of the story. Right. And this right is like before- some <laughs> one flew over the inception into the matrix or something like that. I think they yeah. need to add some layers to that There's title. Not enough layers. Yes. <laughs> um, but right before that, when she first gives her the music, she doesn't dance as she, the doctor stops the music and gives her yeah. another extremely poignant, like <laughs> direction or uh, narration essentially where she tells, she gives her the, phrase that is also used again at the end of the film and uh she describes that uh where is it see so she says that you you your fight for survival starts now yep uh and if you don't want to be judged you won't be you don't think you're strong enough you are you're afraid don't be you have all the weapons you need now fight and that then she puts on the music and then she starts dancing like her dancing is like she just slowly sways. Well, back yeah, and she's forth. like swaying just kind of to the the rhythm of the song, and she's then like it does that building up, like uh, like it's like a car like about to start. Yeah, and before and then it the starts, camera like zooms close to her eye, you see a, a like snowflake fall, mm-hmm. and that's you're like, oh, we're we're going somewhere else now. Yeah, uh, and then it does that like full three sixty into the samurai temple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you're in this samurai temple dojo uh, place and she, and in the snow and it's very cool and stylized. And so she walks in and sees this man. I, I didn't know his name. They never really say his name. Uh, no, he's just he's, the wise man. Yeah. Apparently he's the wise man. I called him like the master or something like that. That's fair. Um, but uh, I meant to write down who that actor is. I love that actor. He is awesome and everything. Oh my god! Well, I lost. Give me name. two Sam something. Yes, it is. and we were doing so well with like our notes are on point. We were doing. So. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, it's Scott not even saying it's Scott Glenn. <laughs> we're <Yeah>. dumb. <laughs> I love Scott Glenn though, and he's great as. As this wise man who essentially is guiding her, she, yep. he, you don't know where he came from, but he has, he knows her. Like he, he obviously is wise. He knows what's up. He knows where she's going. He knows where she needs to go and tries to give her direction. And so he tells her that, uh, well, she says she needs a way out of here. And he says, yeah, obviously. And, uh, so he says that you can do that if you get these like, he says, these are your weapons. He shows her her weapons and it's a sword and a gun, which is <laughs> obvious, but uh, analogous to her weapons in the real world, which we talked about a little bit. And then he tells her that she, in order to escape, she needs to find five things and then tells her that she needs to find a map and a knife and a fire and the key. And then the fifth one's a mystery, right. so, which is always exciting. But it'll and come, like, he basically tells her you have to get these five items. The fifth mm-hmm. one, you have to find out yourself. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you what that one is. But he says it comes with, like, a sacrifice and uh, one other thing. 
he, yeah, he gives her a very like vague description, which could mean anything, but he says, right. But it's, it's essentially it's the reason, like there's a like, price. <laughs> yeah. He says, it's the reason it's the goal. It'll be a deep sacrifice and a perfect victory. And you're like, well, that's, that's what good. it is. A perfect victory. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, only you can find it. And if you do, it'll set you free. And you're like, yeah. okay, that sounds good. And then he does the thing he always does, which he will do many times to come. He says, which is oh, one of my favorite things. <laughs> it's, he, he turns into Columbo and he's like, oh, one more thing. Uh, <laughs> defend yourself. And then she looks outside and there's these three giant golem things. Massive fucking, like, I mean, they're samurai, but... They are massive. They're 10 foot tall samurai with different weapons. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, you don't know if they're like stone or mechanical or what are like, you don't really know what they are. You just know they're big and scary and they're going to kill her. Yep. So, and you never find out what they actually are made of because they don't bleed like normal things. Uh right. <laughs> and that's an interesting thing as well. So every time that she goes into this dance vision world, uh, she fights a different kind of enemy, monster, whatever mm -hmm. it is, and it always uh, it is something different, and it always reacts differently. Where in this first one, it is when she cuts it with the sword, it, there's like a bright light that comes out, yeah. or when she shoots it in the face, like light comes out, and then later it's different things, and different things come out, but it's never blood, which is interesting. Yep. Um, so she fights them. It's badass. I don't really have any other thing to say about it. It is so this. badass. It's cool it, as shit. <laughs> and not only are these things like, yeah, they're like 10 feet tall. So they're like, and she's short as crap. She's not even like, she might be five foot, maybe like four, she, 10. She might, I'll, I'll give her a little more credit. I'm going to say she's like five, two, five, three. <laughs> she's like Hayden Pinatier is small. She's tiny. And so it's like three or four times as tall as she is. And, uh, and the first one has like a giant, fuck off sword that's like the biggest sword you've ever seen and then the second one has like a bazooka and a minigun and it's like oh you're like <laughs> you're not just like samurai samurai with like spears and swords you've got like guns and stuff uh, right you're like the the modern age samurai guy yeah and then the third one is kind of more of the traditional samurai mm -hmm. they've got like the giant katana Mm -hmm. um, that she fights with fun little detail about the sword that I learned. Okay. So the sword looks cool. Yeah. Cause they always look cool, <laughs> but it's got like very specific carvings in it mm. that they only ever focus on one time in the movie. And that's during the second battle or the, yeah, the second battle. Cause that's the mm -hmm. fire battle. Right. Or is that the third? The, the third. The the third. Yeah. The second one to get an item is the fire battle, but it's the third in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The first one doesn't really count. Um, so the carvings on the sword are actually the story of the movie. They are from start to finish baby dolls journey. journey. Wow. Yeah. That is cool. I thought that was kind of a neat thing. And like Snyder talks about they've, they were so excited to have all like the story completely carved into the blade. And then mm. they were like, but shit, we can't show too much of the carvings or the blade <laughs> right. then. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You could say. Right. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> I thought that was a fun detail. Um, yeah. Cause then when they do awesome. show the focus part of the blade and you see mm. like the dragon carved in it, 
I found myself like, oh, how much more are they going to show? Like, I, I want to see, like, <laughs> yeah, that's a fun, that's a fun detail. That'd be an awesome uh, prop to have, actually. Yeah, another uh, one of those movie props that you and I would be like, see that? <laughs> that's fucking yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when she finishes fighting, she finishes dancing like the the fight in the fantasy is the dance that's like yep. the main takeaway whenever you see her in a battle that's her dancing uh, right because her dancing and her sexuality are her weapons and she's using her weapons to fight or to escape or whatever and so you see uh the it's it's it's, it's that's like the, i guess the complicated part where the 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 worlds are connected, but once you realize that, I think it's smooth sailing, and the whole movie is is cool in that regard. Yeah. Um, and so the it's also it's funny though because as soon as she gets out of that, everybody's impressed. Like everybody liked it. Blue liked it. All like his minions liked it. Um, the girls are like, "Oh, that was really good," especially for a first time and all that stuff. And then they like. I think it's Sweet Pea, like, critiques her. She's like, there could be less moaning and gyration and stuff. <laughs> and you're like, that's kind of like, it's a weird dialogue, but it, I think it makes perfect sense that you, you, even though you didn't see the dance, you get the gist. You understand that, oh, she had a super sexy dance that that did accomplish the goal. She fought yeah. well in that regard, you know? So yeah. I think it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also kind of take that as like a, another one of like maybe a potential little jab, like you said with Snyder's uh, comment of "Hey, why why don't we just mm. do something more commercial?" Yeah, that could be a jab to like we probably could have done without so much excessive violence in that in that part. Almost, you know, the yeah, a giant samurai with a fucking Gatling gun, <laughs> like the machine gun <laughs> that just yeah. never stops firing. Uh, which Snyder jokes about having that in the movie. <laughs> um, so I, you could take that line as another little like fun. They wanted yeah. something super commercial. So we'll like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that even more. That's awesome. Now who, who knows? Cause Snyder never confirms any of that, but I like yeah. that you and I take that. You know, he does choice. those kinds of double meanings and oh yeah, does one thing and it's referring to something else, which is a lot of this movie, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so baby doll tells all of the other girls that she's going to escape and they agree. Like they are on board for the most part. Yeah. Sweet Pea's a little like, she's the most hesitant and she's trying to like maintain control. She's like, if, if at any point I'm uncomfortable or it doesn't work out or things start going bad, I get to say we're done. And that means we're done. And everybody's like, yeah, sure. Totally. Yeah. We'll do that. (laughs) You got it, dude. (laughs) Yeah. And so they all <laughs> agree to team up. And so Sweet Pea tells them, and she writes on the chalkboard all of the items that the guy told her that they need to get. And they instantly identify, oh, we know where the map is. We know who has a lighter. We know who has a knife and all that stuff. So the, the plan is set. And they also, uh, Baby Doll knows immediately that, oh, my, when I danced, we went to this thing. So all we need to do is get people to watch me dance. And then they won't notice when you get the things that we're talking about. So that's the plan. Just get them her in front of them, let her dance and steal the stuff. Yeah. She's, she's like, I'll, 
my mission is to be the distraction. That's mm-hmm. my purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I distract them, you guys can go off and collect the items. Yeah. Which Pete or uh, Sweet Pea is like, so we're going to do all the work? <laughs> like, yep. Yeah, you are. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you don't have super dance powers like maybe the also you got to. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so the map is the first thing. They know that it, there's that big map on the wall in Blue's office. And so Sweet Pea goes and tells him that, oh, Baby Doll's dancing again. And he's like, oh, boy, let's go watch. And it's always funny. He, like, when he leaves the office, he closes the door, like, right in front of her face. But he doesn't lock it. He just, like, leaves. No, yeah. And, uh, and then she just opens it again. She's like, I'm just going inside. It always makes me laugh. Because um, he's, like, trying to be private, but also not that private. Well, I also kind of take it as uh, him overthinking his power. Yeah. Or like, because he figures all, she knows she's not allowed in here. She wouldn't do anything to betray me, like go in there. Yeah. And then she does. Uh (laughs) Yeah. It it has a little hubris in there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so all of the, this time when she starts dancing, all of she goes into another vision the same way, but all of the other girls are in this vision as well. And uh, the wise, what did you call him? The wise guy? He's wise the wise man. man. He's oh, the wise, wise man. man. Just he's the one wise man. man. He's not a gangster. He's <laughs> just the, the one wise, wise man. man. <laughs> not the three wise men, just one of them. Uh, he's there and he's like a, like a captain or some squad leader who's like, hey girls, here's the plan. We need to go. And you're up against these like Germans. It's like World War One. There's biplanes and stuff. And, uh, and there's like that you need to go in and get the map. Oh, like in the, in this dance vision, they have the same goal, which is this map, uh, yeah. that this German commander has. And so they, the Amber, who is the, uh, Asian girl, she is the pilot and she's a pilot in pretty much all of them. And, uh, but she flies this cool, like mech that, uh, is like a walking mech that then has like jets and flies up in the sky. Uh, so and that's really cool. I like that a lot. But the um, the other thing that the wise man says is that the Germans have figured out how to like reanimate their dead or their yeah. fallen soldiers and stuff. And so they use their engineers and stuff have used steam power and clockwork parts, and they're essentially like steampunk uh, like guys. Yeah. Not real. And he says, like, they're already dead, so don't worry about killing them. And uh, and so this is the part that we alluded to at the very beginning, where every time that somebody shoots them or cuts them with a sword or whatever, steam shoots out of their body. A yeah. lot like, exactly like. It, it's steam. exactly like the steam flying out of the pipe. Yeah. Yeah. When <laughs> when her she suits her sister. And so, I've, yeah, has to be related. It, it's one of those little details that you would assume would bleed into baby dolls fantasy world from the real world. Cause mm-hmm. that's such a significant part to her trauma mm-hmm. when she lost her sister. So yeah, hundred percent. I'm right there with you. That was one of those details, especially like diving into it this last week being like, ah, uh-huh, they're <laughs> not just steampunk soldiers. Like I feel mm-hmm. this is, they represent 
bad things and the steam is a part of a very bad thing for her. So. <laughs> right. Right. It's embedded in her memory as she's working through this trauma in a way, kind of. Yeah. It's like the subconscious bleeding into it. Yeah, um, exactly. Do that. A good I one. love the whole aesthetic of that, that battle being in mm -hmm. like the world war one mixed with some world war two kind of battleground it's so cool and again it works with the timelessness of the film you don't yeah. know which war they're actually talking about or yeah. in uh you it's know there's some blimps it, yeah there's blimps <laughs> there's biplanes that makes me think it's world war one but being germans it could be any time <laughs> you never know it is it's certainly my favorite uh action sequence is this whole part everything in the trenches everything in the and they're like they're using modern guns. Like the girls yep. have modern guns um, from like the '90s and 2000s. So yeah, it is. It's a weirdly timeless in a cool way. I think. Yeah, that whole battle sequence during the her second dance sequence, which starts off the first of the mit. <sighs> <laughs> and the, the other it is thing, cool. <laughs> the other thing that the wise man says is. Um, he, he sometimes he gives them very specific directions and sometimes he gives them very ambiguous mm -hmm. like advice. And so he tells them, uh, remember if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Pretty, pretty standard. Everybody's heard that phrase. And then, uh, but that being the first mission of theirs together, he also says, Oh, and one last thing, try to work together. And so that's right. important obviously, as they're forming this unit. It's, it's like one of those pieces of, of advice where you as a normal person would hear it and be like, well, no shit, we mm -hmm. get it. But then if you don't put that piece of advice to action, you're like, shit, we're going to like, <laughs> this isn't going to work at all. Right. And so I like that the girls who already kind of feel like they have a good sense of like camaraderie, they, they will yeah. work well together. I like that they, immediately use each other's strengths and are able to be there for each other. Yeah. You know, it enhances all, the fight scenes. That's for sure. They all <laughs> save each other a couple of times and yeah, yeah, they do a good job of working together, but it is a fun little piece. Cause you realize like the stakes of, if they don't work together could be very disastrous because you mm -hmm. don't quite know how far like blue is willing to go to maintain his his control on the women. Right. You don't right. know that. So you understand, yeah, stakes are pretty high and they're trying to do, you know, they're breaking into his office to steal the mm. map. Right. Right now. Like Sweet Pea is in his office. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and when they get out, he when he goes to his office, he is so observant that he pretty much notices immediately something's off. Well, he's so OCD. Like, yeah. I think that's a cool thing. You really get Control a sense freak. of, yeah. Cause when he returns to his office, the first thing he does is he scopes it out. Yeah. Almost like not at a suspicion, but mm -hmm. it's like confirmation that he left everything exactly how he wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. And I do like that. His OCD is so high that he notices a second thumbnail hole in the corner of the map. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the thing that the girls don't anticipate is that Blue is so impressed by baby dolls dancing 
that he wants her to do a private dance, a special dance for the mayor, um, which is, you don't anticipate because you think that he's saving her for the high roller that's coming. But he, you know, he clarifies like just dancing. She's a good dancer and, and no like touchy feely stuff going on. And so the, the, uh, that means that's when the girls have that conversation about we need to get the lighter from the mayor because he always mm-hmm. has a cigar and and they talk about how they're going to do that. Um, but there's a uh, Dr. Gorski has another line here, which is it's a Mark Twain quote, but she uses it and it applies throughout the movie where she says, "Don't part from your illusions. When they're gone, you may still exist, but you will cease to live." And and it's a lot of baby doll is using these illusions as her, her whether it's an alternate, uh, like an escape from reality mm-hmm. kind of thing, or it's a uh, just a visualization of her using her weapons or whatever. And so it, everything that she says, I'm like, it's it just applies throughout the movie. And it, or either it's foreshadowing what's happening in the real world or it's, applying to the exact situation they're in. Yeah. And I, well, and I also take that line as, uh, calling back to the, the actual reality in the film. Mm-hmm. Cause that it's almost like a, a very blatant way to remind the viewer, like we're in a fantasy world right now, even when yeah. she's not going farther into fantasy during the fight sequences, mm-hmm. uh, you are, like in her fantasy because there's no life flashing before her eyes. This is her form mm-hmm. of survival, right? Like this is the last stretch for her mind to mm-hmm. do something, create this persona or whatever it is that she's doing, which yeah. I actually really like. So I take that line of from the doctor as kind of a callback, a, a blatant reminder of like, this is all fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is all fantasy, but this, illusion is as real as yeah. reality it is your yeah. life yeah definitely yeah that's, uh, <laughs> so we're on the lighter <laughs> yeah we are on the we're lighter. on track we're on track folks <laughs> and so the the mission to get the lighter is the one where they they start out in the plane and mm-hmm. they jump down at into they're in like a like a it's like a medieval courtyard and the, the monsters in this one are orcs basically. Yeah. And, uh, they need to fight these orcs and the wise man tells them they need to get these. They need to find this dragon and cut open his throat. And inside you'll find two crystals that you smash together to get fire. And that's, that's a lighter basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, (laughs) and so, uh, he also tells them, uh, don't write checks with your mouth that you can't cash with your ass. <laughs> very important advice. And uh, uh, don't wake the mother is the other, yep. is the last piece of advice. But you don't know what that means at the time because you do, he doesn't specifically say it's a baby dragon, but you piece together before the end of the adventure that <laughs> it is a baby dragon and there is a mother dragon that you don't want to wake. But if you saw the preview, you saw the dragon. Uh, <laughs> the dragon has a quick blip in that trailer. You should yeah. go back and watch the trailer, folks. It, you'll laugh, especially after you watch the movie where you go, wow, they did not market the film well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it it it, it is all of the cool action parts. But so yeah. there's a a f- it's one of my favorite details of this movie, actually. Okay. Um, so when they they battle the orcs, it's pretty cool watching orcs get shot up because yeah, fuck. How orcs. often do you see orcs like? get mowed down with machine guns like that right. never happens uh, it's pretty cool to watch and they look yeah. pretty gross and evil it's yeah. pretty cool uh but when they get into the the tower with the dragon you know mm-hmm. baby doll comes up to it and like holds up its head and slits its throat because mm-hmm. that's what she was told to do fun little detail so the uh-huh. lighter that they're trying to get has a dragon carving on it Right. Where it opens is the dragon's throat. Uh, and where she cuts the dragon is actually right where the lighter yeah. actually opens. I thought, like, what a great little... That's a well-thought-out detail. That's a fun yeah. detail. Especially yeah. since that's where the two elements that they they clash together to make the fire come from. You're like, yeah, that, that'd be the filament and the fluid. Yeah, like, that's literally right. a lighter. Yeah. It's literally a lighter. I just, it's a fun little detail. I, I, man, how do people not like this? <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> it's I so like cool. it. Uh, so, after, I don't know if you have anything more to say about the Oscar, the orc fight. The, the no, not much. Is like, the action is awesome. It's so fun to watch, but it, you don't, there's not a lot to talk about. I mean, it's, it's awesome, awesome action. All it it is fun, awesome action. The dragon, all, the mother dragon, obviously shows up, and she looks yeah. badass. Um, fun. I did. There is a fun tidbit that I learned on okay. this, and Jake, I think you will get a big kick out of this. Actually, okay. okay so it's two fun tidbits for you. One of which you'll laugh at that I meant to say earlier, but I'll I'll say it now. <laughs> all right. Okay, so Vanessa Hudgens, who most audiences would have known her from like the High School Musical mm-hmm. movie. I never movie. saw them. I don't know <laughs> yeah. how many there are. There's Anyways. three movies. I don't know if she's in all of them. Oh well, she's from at least one of them. Okay. Uh, so she's in this, and she gets to fire a fifty cal in the movie. Mm-hmm. That was a real 50 cal that she's firing. Okay. <laughs> that is awesome. So they talk about it in the making of, of like, she was so stoked to get to actually fire the thing. Snyder thought it was kind of funny for her because mm-hmm. she's also pretty petite mm-hmm. to be firing this giant 50 cal mounted on the side of a helicopter on a sound stage. So yeah. it was like everyone's like double ear muffed up and everything, and here's Vanessa Hudgens just firing this gun. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, she's not firing live rounds, but because they use blanks and stuff, right? But she's at, I mean, that's a 50 cal that she's firing. I thought that was a fun little thing because it in such a heavily CGI green screen film, you would almost assume like it's a prop mm-hmm. 50 cal that they would just add everything into post. Nope. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I didn't hear that, but I heard um, Jamie Chung, who plays Amber. Yeah. Um, she talked about how they, they've trained so long for all of this stuff for months, 
and they've shot so much of other scenes that didn't make it into the movie that all of the scenes, especially the action ones, could be 10 minutes longer. Yeah. Um, because they had so much more action and yeah, they were, they had all shot so many guns and all like they, stuff. they all, they did go through extensive weapons training and the funny part about that. So that actors always do all that kind of training, whether it's stunt coordination, weapons training, all this stuff well in advance of actually shooting the film. Yeah. So Emily Browning, who's baby doll, when it came time to film the the backstory sequence, Snyder told mm -hmm. her, like, hey, you have to, like, kind of forget all of your training. <laughs> and he laughs about it was like the One Direction she couldn't get, she couldn't uh -huh. do. It was like pointing out in the backstory part, like, look how she's holding this weapon. Like, she was trained to hold that weapon this way. She's firing yeah. that gun this way because <laughs> that's how she was trained. She couldn't do it. She could yeah. not unlearn how to yeah. handle a gun. At this point in the story, you've never held one before. <laughs> right, but that. she's holding it <laughs> like she's done it before. So I like that the director is pointing out, like, talented actress, can't unlearn holding a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And those are my two tidbits for you, Jake. I thought you that's would like, get a kick out of those. Yeah. I and maybe be a little that. jealous of uh, Vanessa Hudgens for firing off that 50 cal. I am. I have never done that, and it sounds awesome. <laughs> uh so after that they get the lighter um and that's kind of the first major confrontation that is terrifying that blue comes to their dressing room he confronts them because the mayor says he can't find his lighter i noticed somebody noticed somebody was in my office you guys are up to something i'm in control it needs to stop all of that stuff and that this that scene especially stands out as like oh shit he's not yeah. just a like a dork in charge who on a power trip like he's actually terrifying and keeping all of these women including uh dr gorski or whatever she's madame gorski um in in line through yeah. his through his uh control tactics and uh he yeah he like he the way he threatens baby doll especially saying that it's it's so gross but so clever when he's like if i wasn't making a small fortune off of you i would take you right here and pop that smile off your face i was like oh my god that's yeah so, Oscar it makes you Isaac, go, oh, 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 that's gross yeah he like he deserves a lot of recognition i think this is such a great villain and i feel kind of like a shitty movie fan for not keeping him in mind Mm -hmm. of like one of the of a great villain you just you don't see him on any list or anything and i'm watching right. this movie and i'm like we have all failed him mm -hmm. he is fantastic because but, he's so fucking gross yeah i think <laughs> he, it's we forget about him because he made a great turn that's a wrestling reference for those who don't know um where he started out as the heel in all of these in movies he was the villain in he was prince john in robin hood he was in this movie so he started out playing villains and then became he's he's kind of a villain in ex machina like a really good one um definitely a villain actually i take that back he's definitely a villain in ex machina he's definitely the villain in ex machina <laughs> um but he made a turn. I don't know if it happened before Star Wars or with Star Wars, where he's now this seen as a hero. And yeah, and he does both so well. So you forget. He does do both so well. Uh, 
it's a shame that the X-Men franchise did him so dirty in <laughs> Apocalypse. X-Men did a lot of people dirty. Yeah, it did. <laughs> but, yes, Oscar Isaac, I think that his role as Blue is such a great like example. I think more audiences should focus on him as a villain or him as just an actor because his range is way bigger mm -hmm. than I think he's been given credit for. And I, you know, I fall on that line too. I haven't given him a whole lot of credit. I've given him a lot of credit, but I think he deserves more. Yeah. And especially this role. Cause Jesus. Yeah. That first <laughs> confrontation where he's calling them out, telling them like, I know you're up to something. And he's like mm -hmm. enforcing his power without actually enforcing that power. Yeah. It's just very, yeah, it's very threatening and very unnerving. You feel gross. And yeah, his mm -hmm. threat to baby doll is super you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But what strikes me, well, what makes me feel more uncomfortable aren't just the words or his pacing around the dressing room. Mm -hmm. It's his, uh, carelessness with people's personal bubbles. Yeah. That dude gets it, so up close to everyone in that room that mm -hmm. it is like, I'm good with being close to people. Like usually, okay, I can handle mm -hmm. quite a bit. That motherfucker. I'm like, <laughs> man, I would be like, right. I'm fucking gone. I'm, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, but he yeah, command, Oscar, commands that space very well. He does. And he I just I I I really think he deserves so much credit for this role. Mm -hmm. uh, the movie's awesome, but that role is so good for him. I think it should be counted as one of his top yeah, like characters. So, yeah. Yeah. And he's so scary in that like scene threatening them that that is where Sweet Pea tries to call it off. She's like, "Okay, too much. Can't keep going." <laughs> Um, that doesn't last very long. So she gets back on board very quickly. Pretty but much then, immediately. <laughs> but then also Blondie, who has dark hair, which is confusing at first. If you're not paying attention, you're like, who is, who the hell is Blondie? Everybody's talking about Blondie. It's that girl. It's the dark hair girl. Um, it's Vanessa Hudgens. <laughs> yeah. She is crying and confides in the doctor, the Madam uh, Gorski character. And like, kind of tells her snitches on what the hell what's going on um and and so that's like a small thing but you can just tell that it came out of him scaring the girls mm -hmm. uh, into that they should be loyal to him and all that stuff so it is effective on at least a couple of them yeah even though they decide to continue and hey, so sometimes you just got to get a little bit of the emotion out and then yeah. Continue with true. the task at hand. It's true. And so they go and uh, dance for the chef to get the knife. And the chef we already know is uh, that disgusting guy. But uh, the the way that they do it, they just kind of like, they I think there's more of an urgency now that they know they can't just keep like um, working under the radar. Yet yeah. they actually have to move this along before they get caught kind of thing. So now they're Man. just like, sit down here, watch this girl dance. And uh, we'll get on. It, it's this. so their confrontation with blue is really the first, like, okay, 
the plan, any plot, any story, mm. if there's a big plan involved, they're going to hit some hiccups if completely derail the plan completely. Uh, I said that twice. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so their first hiccup is that confrontation with Blue. Their urgency, as soon as they're like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Immediately, you know, like, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is not going to work. Something right. bad will happen. You just, you know that as soon as they, like, close the kitchen door, as soon as they're turning mm-hmm. the music on. It's rushed. Even, You're not. It's very rushed. You see Baby Doll, it. like, jump on the table, throw her jacket off so yeah. that she looks a little more seductive for the cook. Uh, and then you see the, like, faulty wiring. Mm-hmm. And the the liquid, the water yeah. on the floor, and immediately you're just like, oh um, shit! Knocked, <laughs> knocked stuff off the table for her to dance on it, and now this water is slowly going towards this exposed wire. Yeah, you're just like, yeah, you guys, you should like <laughs> call this one off, or at least postpone, like yeah. regroup, Reset. rethink. <laughs> like, yeah, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. But it's you kind of forget about it because the action's so cool and then when it actually happens i think it, it's very effective it's very cool the yeah. way it works out so they sh- and the in the fantasy this time the whole team of girls are on a train and they're fighting these like robots Dude, i uh, love this robot fight i really like this robot fight and yeah. i like the fact that it's so like enclosed yes i like that the fights are inside the train car i like how it feels like the stakes are higher. It feels mm-hmm. a little more like in your face up front with stuff. Yeah. I really like that. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. I get that feeling as well. And their mission is to uh, stop a bomb that's on the train before it gets to um, the city. Like this, tra- yeah. this train is going towards the city. They need to defuse the bomb. Uh, and the only way it's like the other ones are pretty obviously connected to fire and a map um this one the train or the bomb or something is like a jackknife so there's some knife related thing that's like yeah in the real but world you're getting a knife but it's not as obvious and it's everything about this fantasy fight sequence feels off it looks really cool but it feels off but not yeah. like uh oh the filmmakers mess something up it's supposed right. to feel something's off because yeah, not following the pattern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. It's not following the pattern and mm-hmm. you understand that. Yeah. As the viewer of like, Oh man, this just, <laughs> it looks cool, but Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, they get towards the end, they get to the bomb, they defuse it. Everything seems to be going great because there's like four minutes left on the timer. You're like, this never happens in films. That's great. Right. <laughs> and then the girls are supposed to fly away, like on jetpacks. And uh, well, well, Rocket's jetpack is damaged, for one thing. And as they're about to like lift the bomb out of the train with the helicopter, um, a robot, like a half a robot, comes back and reactivates it basically yep and then the cool the cool part is um back in the second layer of of fantasy so we're back in the the kitchen 
Fast, <laughs> we'll just back in the back kitchen. to the good, kitchen. Good way to describe <laughs> it. Back in the kitchen, the water reaches the cord, which is the radio playing Baby Doll's music, and cuts out the music. And so yeah. she stops dancing. The cook snaps out of his trance or power she had over him and notices that these girls are trying to steal the knife. And then, uh, and then it kind of cuts back in. The, the music turns back on, and so you're put back into the train. And but you know that the, the chef's aware things are going badly now. Like he smacks the girls. Like you're like this is not this is bad. <laughs> Everything's bad now. Everything's bad. <laughs> yeah. And so in back in that world, they the guy reactivated the bomb, turned the dial up. So now it's not four minutes. There's like a few mm -hmm. seconds left, and. Uh, and so baby doll, uh, like it works out that, uh, rocket forces baby doll to leave by like shooting the rope. And she kind of like saves her that way. And then also, uh, saves or tricks her sister, sweet pea into flying away as well. Well, and she, rocket she saves behind. sweet pea cause sweet pea's like, I'll just put my rockets on full burn. I'll carry you out of here. But rocket knows, Hey, it's not gonna, yeah, it can't hold. Um, and she's so like, she like she's like there's two things I need to tell you about that yeah you got to promise me two things one don't get mad about this and she's like mad about what and she sets a rocket off and yeah. shoots her out of the train that's so great I love that and then it cuts back to the kitchen well mm. first you see the train go into the city and you see the bomb blow yeah so they effectively killing the rocket and the mission has failed and then it cuts to the kitchen. And you realize that, yeah, Rocket is actually dying. She's been stabbed. Yeah. And she is on the ground, like, bleeding out. But you don't see her bleeding out. You just, you have that understanding. Because you see a quick shot of the stab wound. Yeah. And that's it. And then the suffering. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you realize, like, all the girls understand they have failed. They have royally fucked up. Yeah. Because now Rocket is dead. Right. Um, and the cook is super pissed off he's kind of freaking out just a little bit because he you get the sense he's the one that killed her right right and then in all the commotion motherfucker blue bursts <laughs> through the doors again mm -hmm. <laughs> just when it can't get worse <laughs> yeah yeah and it, this like now he has had it with all of yep. them and uh he has an even more terrifying speech and it all builds and builds and builds to him pulling a gun and threat. He threatens the doctor. He threatens, um, threatens well, so they, the girls. He like freaks out. He separates the, the girls. He reminds everyone we got a show we got to get prepared for. Mm -hmm. um, takes Sweet Pea to the closet. And, uh, and then it cuts from the kitchen to their dressing room again. Oh, my yeah. God. How did we miss the coolest shot? What's the coolest shot? Oh, the mirror. The mirror shot. The mirror. Where they are talking. It's like right before. Oh, no. Is this the mirror shot? Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> so the mirror shot where the girls are all talking. No, it's it's before this because Rocket is now dead. And Rocket's oh. in the mirror. Uh, where it does that shot where the girls are talking. And it the camera like goes around. Yeah. And it goes past the mirror, and then you see the reflection. So what you thought was you watching, like, them, 
mm-hmm. you were actually on the side of the reflection and then it goes and you see it's one of my favorite shots of the movie i can't believe i forgot to brought it bring it up earlier but <sighs> yeah i but anyways totally what you mean yeah then we go back to the the dressing room after the after I, rocket has passed sorry the first time the first time i watched the movie this week actually um the mirror scene stood out to me because I was like, "This when you when this girl is talking, the girl in the mirror isn't exactly like synced." And I was like, "This is something is different here," and I didn't know what it was until you said that. And I'm like, "Oh yeah. my god, this makes so much sense." It's pretty cool. I really like how they did that. Um, but yeah, so then they go back to the dressing room after Rocket has passed away. Everyone is high emotion, freaking out, and Blue shows back up. Uh, takes his suit jacket off, which you know, as soon as he takes a suit jacket off as he's talking, you're like, oh, oh yeah. god, like Looking down to business. This will probably be the most violent scene of the movie, and mm-hmm. in terms of effective violence or the kind of violence that's like makes you react to it, mm-hmm. this is the most violent scene of the film. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, his whole speech in this room of loyalty and reminding them that he owns them. He hits Dr. Gorski, knocks her down, pulls Mm. a gun. Which suddenly, having the gun introduced to the scene is very like, oh shit. Yeah. Like, he's probably going to kill someone right now, and we don't Mm. know who. (laughs) Right, right. And he threatens so many people with it, and and... Blondie breaks and admits that she like routed out the group and their mission mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And then, uh, and he finds the list of items on the back of the chalkboard. He doesn't find the actual items, which is good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he makes a fun note that they had crossed off the knife as soon as they like planned it out. He's like, Oh, call, counted that chicken a little early. Did we? <laughs> right. And, uh, and, uh, then he, pulls the gun on the back of Amber's head and shoots her. And you're like, Oh shit. I didn't know that uh, this was actually going this far. And so everybody freaks out. And then he also shoots Blondie because he said, nobody likes snitches, which is the old, she's the only girl that's actually loyal to you and you killed her. And you still killed her just because you hate snitches. Yeah, uh, I think he actually kills her because if she snitched on the girls that she actually cares about, mm-hmm. who knows what she would snitch on him? Who sh- he knows you hate. Me. It's true. It's true. Um, she so can't. I think yeah, he's killing can't. her as a form of closing a loose end, not just because yeah. she's a snitch. Uh, yeah. But yeah, seeing the two girls get killed—that's pretty like holy shit. Mm-hmm. We just lost Rocket, and we just lost Amber and Blondie. Like, oh fuck. Yeah. This is going sideways he's, in a hurry. At this point, is he going to kill the doctor? I don't think he's mm-hmm. going to kill Baby Doll because she's his main attraction. So I don't think right. he'll kill her. But I can see him killing the doctor. He doesn't. But he uh, he he has broken that like barrier of murder. That's generally yep. something that people don't do. He has done it, and so you know now when he doesn't threaten, uh, he doesn't kill Baby Doll, but he does take the. Uh, threat from earlier even further with her and he talks about like how he's conflicted because he's going to make a bunch of money off her like he's talked about before but he feels like a kid 
who doesn't want to share his toys. And he's, he's like watching all these other kids play with his toys. And the way he like delivers that dialogue is so intense. And so he's, he's essentially wanting to take his toys and go home, meaning he wants yep. to, you know, rape a baby doll and, and not share her with anybody. And, uh, and that's, it's, it's even scarier. And the fact that what just happened happened makes you believe that he will uh, yeah. do that. And you, so you, <laughs> and because of that, and because you didn't really see how the kitchen uh, mission ended up, and because he had just said, "Oh, you failed to get the knife," you don't expect her to pull the knife and stab him in the neck. Right. It turns out, so they've been. We forgot to mention they've been collecting the items that they steal. They are mm -hmm. hiding on the bottom side of one of the drawers. They're all taped to the bottom. Right. And the camera shows you that they actually did, in fact, still manage to collect the knife. Mm -hmm. And so she's like trying to reach for it. And I, you, I love it when she stabs him. I, yeah. it's such a like unusual spot for the bad guy to get stabbed in. It's such a like, it feels more emotional, more spontaneous instead of stabbing mm -hmm. him in the gut or directly to the side of the throat. Stabbing him like here at the yeah. top of the shoulder. It's such a like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, and it's it's a good effort. I mean, you're close to that. You have an artery in there. Like, she, that's a good call to go for that instead of just like in the tummy or something. And it, it's effective enough so you see him like drop, yeah. and she sprints out. But the last image you see of Blue is like him dropping to the ground and suffering. So your brain is like, oh, did she did she kill him? Like, did she pull yeah. that off? Yeah. Uh, no. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But so they have they have the four things that they need that they think they need because she's forgotten the mysterious secret fifth thing. And so Baby Tall and Sweet Pea, the only two left, use those items to try to escape. So they are sneaking through the uh a club or a asylum or whatever. Yeah. And you should probably start a Baby Doll fire. goes and collects Sweet Pea from the closet and sure. tells her, like, we're the only two left. Uh, yeah. Because remember, he, like, he has locked Sweet Pea away. Yeah. In this dingy, nasty closet. And yeah, they use their items. You get to see them actually utilize the four items. So yeah. the knife's already been utilized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they did need it, luckily. The wise man was right. Uh, they start a fire, and the fire, for safety reasons, opens all the doors, and so they yep. can get out. And then, um, and they use the map to navigate and avoid the guards and stuff. And then they get out in the courtyard, and they can't get past the guards outside. And that's when Baby Doll remembers, oh yeah, there's a. I'm the fifth thing. I need to sacrifice myself for you, Sweet Pea. You need to escape for us and live a life for everybody here that couldn't basically. Mm -hmm. And that's when you also find out that the whole story hasn't actually been baby dolls, but it's actually sweet peas story. Cause she flat out tells her like, it's not mine. This is yeah. all about you and trying to yeah. get you out of here and to have a life. Mm -hmm. um, and sweet peas kind of like reluctant. It feels very, you connect to sweet pea because you understand on the one hand, you're like, you can't let baby doll do this to herself because the yeah. outcome is guaranteed not, not good. good. Yeah. But you got to get out of there as almost like, so that the death of all the other girls, especially your sister 
is not yeah. for nothing. Right. There has to be a victory here, but how mm-hmm. do you weigh that victory? And I, I like that baby doll just flat out tells her like, just go. Like yeah. I'm about to go and do this anyway. So you need to go and do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that. There's not a huge emotional separation from the two. I right. like that. It's very debate. Just, yeah. Cut and dry. You're going to go do this. Cause I'm, I'm headed out right now. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have a choice. Go, go live yeah. a good life. Um, and, and it, it does a really good job of like doing that with baby doll. The, Snyder does this kind of slow-mo of her walking out to show herself to the, to the guard. She kicks the one in the nuts, which you're like, kick him harder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sweet yeah. P gets out of the gate. It's like mm-hmm. one of the most fulfilling parts of the movie is seeing sweet P on the outside of yeah. the Lennox house or outside the, the brothel. Right. Um, yeah. And then unfortunately for baby doll, after she kicks that guy in the nuts, she gets knocked the fuck out. Yep. And, <laughs> and depending uh, on if you watched the PG 13 theatrical release or the Snyder extended cut, because this whole scene was omitted. Oh, really? I didn't get around to watching the theatrical one. Yeah, so the high roller is not in the theatrical cut. WB had originally wanted Snyder to trim the scene down because they thought it was too uncomfortable. But when he trimmed it down as they asked, it -hmm. came across super rapey and gross. (laughs) And Snyder hated that it took away a lot of the narrative, especially pertaining to uh, what his metaphor for the high roller was. Right, and kind which of is very, they make. it's very important and shockingly, you expect it to be rapey and it's shockingly not. Yeah. It's more, more meaningful than that. There, there's a, a whole deal made between yeah. Baby Doll and uh, the High Roller that Snyder, instead of having it look creepy and rapey and gross, just he took the whole sequence out of the film because mm. he felt like, I can't cut this down and still maintain the narrative I wanted. So he just uh-huh. took the whole thing out. So watch the extended cut for this the scene because it's actually really important, especially where it yeah. leads to. It's um, the most important scene, in my opinion, um, because of its direct meaning to the whole lobotomy and the whole end yeah. of the movie, and her motivation and and her agreement that she makes with the high roller mm-hmm. is. Is, is felt in reality with the doctor who lobotomized yeah. her. Um, so they, they, he has this whole monologue speech of I'm, I've paid so much like a small fortune to get you here with me. I'm supposed to just take you, but I can't think of anything more offensive, which I mm-hmm. love hearing him say that. Yeah. Uh, it's still kind of creepy that he's there and all that. So I'm not trying to like justify the actions yeah. of the world or whatever. But, but you, as an audience, are so uncomfortable at this moment that it's a little bit of a relief. You're like, okay, as long as like this isn't going to get yeah. super rapey all of a sudden, I, this might be okay, but we're yeah. still a little cautious. And he he literally just talks to her, all I want is a moment of truth with you. I want just the real you. I, I don't want you feel forced. I want you to be on the same page with me. Mm-hmm. Um 
And he tells her, here's what I can give you. I can give you freedom. And he lists every little piece of freedom that he can give her. Yeah. And she's kind of quietly absorbing it and understanding the high roller is essentially the way out of this fantastical hell that mm-hmm. she's been in, having to fight in. Um, and she's also at a, a moment where she understands the mission was completed. Right. They're, it's They were victorious. They won. She mm-hmm. just has to play out the finality of it. And uh, I like that their exchange to me is very interesting. They do like make out a little bit, you know, she does lay down and he continues to talk to her about freedoms. Mm-hmm. So you get a little like, how old is John Hamm compared to Emily Browning? That's a little, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then it like, then it cuts. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you see is it cuts to the sound of the hammer hitting the tool and him pulling it back and being like, that was yeah. weird. Yeah. And suddenly you are back in reality. You are back to the beginning of the film with a full, like, holy shit, everything we've watched, not just mm-hmm. the dance or the, yeah, the dance slash fight sequences, but the entirety of right. this movie has been in her mind in this split second, which is one of my favorite things that Snyder chose not to do a like flashback, the life flashing before your eyes, before like whether you're dead or this, but she created mm-hmm. this whole persona, this whole world yeah. where she could find like strength and find, I guess a warrior inside of her kind of a piece mm-hmm. of all this. Uh, I, I really like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I really like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that a lot too. I think it's brilliant the way that it's done. Um, I think that it all ties together in such a great way. And I think especially, I, I love John Hamm's character and how he plays kind of both sides where he is, he's a little scary, a little older and, a, and, but also very charming and mm-hmm. disarming and seductive in a way that you would understand it feeling like, I guess, like you believe him, um, which is important. But then on the other side, after he does lobotomize her, the way he's like shocked, he's yeah. like, did you see that? Like the way she looked at me and that was weird. Like there was just a flash of what he mentioned before, a moment of honesty, a moment of truth in her eyes that she did essentially uh, agree or approve or give him herself yeah. to him. Well, he gives you kind of the sense that he has had she, to lobotomize several of these women yeah, over however but, long. And they've all, none of them have been okay with it or on board with it, and none of them wanted him like, to do it. Yeah, and this is the first one he recognized that in her eyes that it was like she wanted me to do it. It was like she was okay with this happening. Yeah, and that's when like the bigger reveal starts coming out, where the doctor finds out oh the lobotomies have all been forged, and she starts learning about the abuses that have been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets a little frightening, though, again. <laughs> Just when you think, because, like, hey, we're on a cool down, they, yeah. Snyder's like, you know what? We need one more little, like, eh. <laughs> and you yeah. find out that Blue did not die. Blue did not die. In fact, yeah. he looks super pissed off. And although 
the fantasy version of him is so like gross and hyper uh, intimidating and all that. When you see him mm-hmm. as an orderly, mm-hmm. especially now, I still look at him as like you might be scarier than the fantasy version of yourself now mm-hmm. than what she saw you as, because now it's like real and you've been injured and you've right. been almost exposed or all this. And right. you find out that he's kind of like creeper in love with her. Yeah. Well, he's also, he's not the boss. Like he is in the fantasy world. Yeah. He's an orderly who's, who's, doing things on the down low, wanting to be like a boss, but also kind of a sniveling shadowy guy. He's such and, a piece of shit. <laughs> and yeah. And he, I, 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 it is what you just said, gross. Um, but I also love that scene where you, you, they take her back to her room and he um, is kind of, like you said, in love with her where he's like, trying to get kiss her and she's not kissing him back. He's even trying to like choke her and she's not reacting. Man, when he and puts his hand on her throat, it's so like uh uh Yeah. It is. <laughs> like- it is, but the more I like watch it and the more I like I the more I watch it, the more I like how bothered he is by her yeah. not reacting that he has no control over her anymore. He can't even he can't scare her. He can't control her he can't do anything to her because and I, I agree that. with you on that too uh he's still just so gross yeah <laughs> he's so gross at that part <laughs> but i do like him breaking down mm-hmm. and having that like fear and desperation and kind of that loss of oh shit yeah. i can't scare her to do what i want her to do and then the cops mm-hmm. burst in and you're like fuck yeah yeah and there's kind of like, I guess, regret on his part that there, she's like this because of what he did. Yeah. He's responsible for it. But uh, it, it turns out he actually didn't want that. He, he has to learn the hard way that that's not what he wanted. And so he has to deal with the consequences. That's always a good thing. And then he really deals with the consequences when the doctor shows up and is like, this guy's molesting these girls and yeah. forcing her to have lobotomies. And so you get some justice. That's good. Uh, what I also really like, it's real quick in the background of the scene because you're you're focusing on him getting arrested and they're trying to like force him out. You got Dr. Gorski standing in the room too, kind of mm-hmm. looking horrified because she just learned like this guy just signed. He's supposed to be helping me take care of these women and he's actually been abusing them and yeah. who knows how many ways. Uh, but in the background, you see it real quick. All the other orderlies are also arrested and they're being escorted down the hall. Nice. Yeah. Which I'm like, it's awesome that he gets his, but it's also a good feeling knowing that the other guys are also being. Yeah. You know, he he wasn't alone. And so it has to be a complete. So it's, it's one of those times and it kind of got me thinking of like other movies where you see the bad guy get their own and they have like goons and stuff. Uh, how often do you actually see the the other goons get taken mm-hmm. down as well? Maybe not like shot up or whatever, but actually serve the, uh, I guess, technically correct justice, if you will. You know, they're about yeah. to have to face it. Uh, Complete and justice. you don't see that very often. It's usually just, hey, the, bang, the main bad guy got taken down. That means all the other guys will, like, you yeah. assume, follow suit. But it's nice yeah. when you see it actually happen. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it, definitely it, true. <laughs> 
so the may the end after that the end is sweet pea who has escaped uh she's kind of out in the real world she's getting on a bus and uh, she's stopped by the cops before she gets on and you're like oh shoot she's obviously escaped from this facility They're well yeah and you you back. know the cops know this because dr gorski made the comment of like hey this one helped another patient escape so when you see the cops pull up to the bus stop you immediately are like they're trying to find the escape patient because yeah you don't know what sweet pea was ever in the lennox mm -hmm. house for no one talks about anything that brought yeah. them to that place right um, i kind of assume they all share the same background but that's to we're about to debate that uh yeah. <laughs> or not debate but dive into that uh yeah she she's like getting stopped by the cops and then the bus driver stops the officers and you turn it turns out it's the wise man but now yeah. he's a bus driver, like an innocent-looking bus driver who's like, she's been a joy yeah. the whole time. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he says, she can't have anything to do with what you're doing around here because she's been on the bus the whole time. She just got off to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And she's getting back on. And they're like, oh, okay, and they leave. But yeah, it is extremely interesting that uh, the wise man is the driver of the bus because it's, you have only ever seen him on that third level deep dance mm -hmm. vision with the girls, not in this reality of with the girls. And, uh, and so I think that's what you were referring to at the beginning or earlier when you were like, is, is this real or is he actually there? Or what, what does that mean? Is it, is did he, actually, he actually like, managed to escape or yeah are we still in a fantasy world is mm -hmm. baby doll fantasizing that yes yeah, sweet pea this is sweet pea's future um mm -hmm. but it also brings up because yeah yeah so that's the end of the movie they they drive off you hear extra narration about like uh mm -hmm. who creates these obstacles who has the power to like fight them, control them, power yeah. to do all this like huge affirming things in life. And you, you get a quick whisper of yeah. it's you and now fight. Um, yeah. But my I favorite think is my favorite is when she says who chains us yeah. and who holds the key to set us free. It was so funny watching this Jake. Cause it brought me back to so many things that you and I talked about the first matrix. And I was yeah. like, and then with how the cast and crew kind of talked, you know, tagline this movie, I was One like, flew over the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, they do share some very like similar theological or philosophical like aspects of, yeah, we create like these, these cages for our own minds. We have to learn how to break them. We have to learn. We are the ones that create. So we have to break them. Right. Uh, it it made me like, oh man, this is like crazy <laughs> yeah. how they share pretty similar ideas. Yeah, we have um, more power than we can even imagine if we can just believe in ourselves. Right? Of. Like, yeah, what are we actually capable of? Because it's got to be pretty spectacular. But yeah. it interesting decision points, and this is where the debates really come up: is post lobotomy, you don't see baby doll's face. Now, could that have been done so that you don't see like the the broken face or the trickle of blood that you assume is there? Mm. 
or is that actually sweet pea? Mm-hmm. And the fantasy element is just that's what's going through her head as she's being like led away from where she just got lobotomized. Uh, right. What was yeah, real? That- what wasn't? Uh, post lobotomy, it's. It is, it is, I think, debatable, and that's part of why it's so cool. Um, but I, I, from what I recall, you do have – there is a big gap, and I think that's very interesting that from the lobotomy on, the whole time she's walking from – she gets the lobotomy, she's walking back to her cell, the whole interaction with Blue, the awkward, like, choking and kissing that we talked about, all of that stuff you don't see her face for. But I thought that you you do see her at the very end, do you not? I'm no, not you crazy. do. But it, it also like it, it's also kind of uh, it's just like mysterious. So she's very clean. Time. She looks like she's back in the fantasy world, like version. Okay. So it it still leaves you with a uh, a sense is of that who really her is that yeah. really her or what? Um, I like the debate for it. I will tell you my personal feeling. Mm-hmm. Is that Sweet Pea actually does escape, and that her getting on the bus is kind of the reality for Sweet Pea? Like that is actually Sweet yeah. Pea leaving because I I I want to lean towards the victory side. Of yeah, Sweet Pea got out of that environment, and she mm-hmm. whatever is ahead of her. Who knows? It could be disastrous for her, but who knows? <laughs> sure. You just hope she makes it to her mom to tell her, "Hey, Rocket says she loves you." Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's, it's at least hopeful uh, yeah. going forward. Yeah, it, I think that has to be how it goes because it would be antithetical to the film for it to somehow like have us have a twist ending where she didn't escape or she mm-hmm. was in in uh, baby doll's mind and baby doll's like still locked up, just lobotomized. That would be, that would not fit the entire story that's been told, not just the story of these girls, but the, the message to the audience that's been going Mm -hmm. on is that you can do this. You can escape. You have all all of the weapons you need to uh, get out of the situation. So I think the hero needs to, or the main character needs to escape at the end in order yeah. for that to be completed. And I agree with you. Now what's funny is when I watched it, hoping for the definitive, like, all right, she got out, right? Snyder laughs and even says, like, it's been open for debate. And then he moves <laughs> on. And he's like, so that's the end of the movie. Thanks for doing this with me. You're like, fucking goddamn it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I choose to stick with the more hopeful conclusion to the story. Yeah. Um, and I, I like the idea of just the old man or the wise man being the bus driver, mm-hmm. although showing up previously. Um, I like just saying, you know what? Fun coincidence. Of course, they're going to throw yeah. him back in into the real world. As and a, he's, a, he's a friendly face. He's the only mm-hmm. one that can really span space and time because he's not a real person. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think he's a – actually, now that I think about it, the very beginning when she has that whole monologue about guardian angels, she talks about how they can take several different forms. They can be a young girl or an old man. I think that that's just another manifestation of her guardian angel. Just, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think he's the actual guardian angel 
just mm-hmm. kind of being like, yeah, I'm still here. Friendly um, face at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sucker punch. Um, I think we covered quite a bit, man. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> we were very thorough, I think. Great <laughs> we were movie. super thorough on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm checking my notes and wow, we hit like all the notes. Uh, fun fact, this was Vanessa or not, sorry, Vanessa Hudgens. Uh, Jamie Chung. This is her yeah. favorite personal movie that she's made. Oh, nice. Um, on a different, not so happy, nice note, uh, the poor reception was so great to this film that it caused Jenna Malone to almost quit acting entirely. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that's kind of tragic because this movie does not deserve the the hate that it's received. It really doesn't. I right. think it's such a cool movie. Visually, it's stunning. It's right. so good. But the story is so... Yeah, it's crazy dark. Yeah, it makes you feel gross at times, but it's supposed mm-hmm. to. Um, and I think it has it serves a really good purpose. I love the the narrations of reminding you, mm-hmm. like you understand, you have all this in front of you. Yeah. You are able, whatever the situation is, you have the ability to fight through it. You just have to make the choice to fight through it. And I, I understand some things you can't just simplify that easily, but there's still, you have to find at least find the will to fight what you do with it after that is up to you. Um, And it's told in such a, it's boiled. It's yes. Life is not that simple, but the message and the moral of the story is simplified to a point that it can apply to everybody in every situation. And your weapons can be anything and your situation yeah. can be anything and you'll ha- you have to fight because you are you are the most capable you're the most responsible for yourself yeah and, and you're important we're all like i mean that i love that the movie really focuses you follow baby doll thinking that she's the like main character the hero whatever and you find out no she's not uh, <laughs> <laughs> this has actually been sweet pea story the whole time but all the girls serve great purposes everyone's super important and yeah it's really i i just i think the movie is just uh so underappreciated and it should be Mm -hmm. appreciated it's a great film yeah not just as a snyder fan it's a great film (laughs) (laughs) it is it really is i obviously don't know jenna malone and i don't know uh how she felt about that situation but i could understand or picture caring about this story and believing mm-hmm. in the project so much and being excited about it. And then for it to get that criticism so strongly and immediately um, from people that, you know, probably haven't seen it based on the, what they're describing it can be, I imagine very discouraging yeah. and that these people just don't get it. Uh, what's the point in even like working so hard and believing in something so perfectly if, if uh, it's going to fall on deaf ears or whatever. Right. So I, I, I think that everybody gets discouraged and that's, that's certainly not a bad thing. I'm glad that she's continuing to act for sure, but I also get it. I mean, people, people are dumb. That's, that's <laughs> they, they can that be very dumb. They can be very, very dumb. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the great thing about movies is that they exist forever after they're yep. out and 
people like two idiots on the internet can come along 12 years later, 11 years later and, uh, and love it and yeah. uh, have enjoyed it for years and appreciate the hell out of what you, know, you did to make it. I I've come across some people. I've got a few friends back home in Colorado that I know love this movie and, uh, I haven't even told them that this was the one that we're diving into this week. So I'm excited for them to find that out because I know <laughs> they will be like completely on board. I've loved hearing them talk about how much they love it and why. And mm. it always boils down to the movie does such a great job of showing uh, the necessity of continuing the fight to live and like mm -hmm. what you need to do, gathering the tools that you need for it, whatever mm. they may be. Uh, and just continuing that fight, not being super discouraged from it, even when it like blows up in your face, but continuing to move yeah. on. I just, I think the movie is a lot more powerful than people give it credit for. And I like that audiences, like you said, are starting to revisit it and appreciate it, find appreciation for it. And uh, hopefully it continues to build because I think it, it deserves it, man. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Underrated gem for sure. Yeah. But that's Sucker Punch, folks. Let us know uh, if you've seen it, uh, if you didn't see it, because you thought everyone hated it, so you skipped it, but you should go revisit yeah. it or whatever. Chime uh, in. Yeah. Obviously, we always want to hear from everyone. Yeah, if you revisit it just because we recommended it and liked it or not, we want to hear from you. So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and all everywhere. The, all the stuff. Yeah, comment uh, or DM. We like talking to you. Um Next week's episode it should be, be kind of fun, fun and interesting. <laughs> yeah, you hinted at it before. Um, we're, we, we, I noticed end of last year that Soylent Green, which is a crazy movie from the 70s that a lot of people have not seen, um, it takes place in the year 2022. And so I was like, oh, well, we'll definitely do a Soylent Green episode next year. And then I realized there's actually a weirdly lot amount of movies from that were put out in the 70s, 90s, two th early 2000s that take place in 2022. So we're going to go through 10 of them, I think. <laughs> yep. 10 different movies uh, that take place in 2022. Some of them are really uh, interesting because they imagined a world that is very different than what we're actually in. And uh, some of them are scary because they imagined a world that's exactly what we're, there, what we're in right now. So <laughs> it will be very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when art predicts reality, uh, <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, it also sparks up the question of dating movies, which was another thing that I was yeah. kind of hinting to. Um, we're going to talk about, should you date yeah. films? Uh, I, I have a pretty strong opinion about that. Jake already knows what it is, but we'll get into that. Yeah, uh, next week it should be interesting. I've only like looking at the list. I was like, man, I've only seen a couple of these. I don't know <laughs> what I'm in store for with the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a weird uh, John, uh, a weird Mark Hamill movie from the '90s that looks fun <laughs> that I've never seen. Yeah, it'll be a good time. It, it'll be a good time. So that'll be fun comparing those movies to current times, the real 2022. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that one will have some pretty funny uh, us moments. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be very interesting. I can't wait for you to watch the. Uh, ah, fuck! This is what happens when I say things off the cuff. What's that? Who's that girl from 
Mean Girls, obviously the main redheaded girl from Mean Lindsay Girls. Lindsay Lohan? Yeah, there's a Lindsay Lohan movie on that list that just came out recently. There is? Yes, it's the Among the Shadows movie. Uh, oh man, that place. might be the first one I watch. Did you hear oh, she's gosh. trying to like make a comeback? This seems like it is what that is. This seems like a comeback movie, but it's not one that you would probably want right. to make a comeback with. All right. I heard but she's going to be uh, making some rom-com for like Hallmark or something like that. And I was like, okay. okay. Well, this, this uh, Among the Shadows is a very interesting movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll say that. Yep. Tune in next week. So that'll be next week. If anything, watch uh, Soylent Green. Um, oh boy. <laughs> it's a classic. It is. It is. So, all right. Well, thank you, everybody. I think that's it, right? Yep. That should cool. be it. Thanks. Thank so you, many. guys.